Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Run to Old Navy for revolutionary prices on summer's most stylish shorts. Tomorrow only, they're all 50% off for the whole family. All your favorite shorts, denim, linen, all of them. All shorts are 50% off tomorrow only. Run to Old Navy. Valid 630 excludes active. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I'm Danny Guru, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This is the second season preview, as I would call it, and this is with Seth Partnow of the Nylon Calculus and seemingly every other site. I mean that in a positive way, including the new edition, The Cauldron slash Sports Illustrated, which I'm thrilled for him, and I'm sure he's thrilled. And like what happened with Ben Golliver, this is about an hour to an hour 15 of the season preview, so teams to watch, players to watch, questions we want answered, and then a free-flowing conversation that goes after that about various things, the Sixers rebuild, where the league is going, courage of ownership, things like that. I, I think it was a really fun conversation. So you can kind of see it as two podcasts. I asked on Twitter whether people wanted it to be one or two, while there was a split more people want it as one, so it is one. But if you want to think about it as two podcasts, feel free. And I hope you enjoy it. It was so much fun to do. I always love talking with Seth. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. We're actually getting close to real basketball, which is exciting enough in and of itself. And where I think is, is a good place to start, not the only one, but a good one, is the teams that, that you see as legitimate title contenders. And because that's such a, a loaded word, I'll let you use a different one or define it how you like. Sure. Would it surprise me if they ended up winning from right now, if they ended up winning the championship? I think that's kind of, it's kind of squishy, but I think that's kind of how you have to go. I mean, is it a team that, yeah, they're in the conference finals. We thought they'd be here and not just kind of a, a happy to be here appearance in the conference finals because someone had to, which at least one team will be this year, most likely uh, in the Eastern conference. Um, but yeah, so that's, I think that's the definition I'll, I'd go for. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's good. I like to use the being surprised if in, in other contexts. That's actually how I do the tears piece that I do and still have to write at some point this year. Yeah, so using that definition, who qualifies for you? I think it's there's one team in the East that's the Cavs. Um, 
the raft of what's wrong with the Cavs uh, pieces, uh, people I'm sure are already writing, given that, you know, with all their little, little injuries and stuff, they might start the season off a little rough, but it doesn't really matter, does it? So the Cavs in the East, and then I think there are four or five in the West. Uh, I think definitely the Spurs, Warriors, and Rockets. I kind of have to see a little something from both the Thunder and the Clippers before I'm ready to just uh, throw them in there. On paper, the Clippers should be, but you just like, how are they actually going to use their newfound depth, or is it going to be the same, you know, the same old, same old of, of well, we've got our five guys, we'll play until they until they fall apart, which history might suggest is the second round. What do you think is their best five? Their best five is uh, well, their best five is going to end up being if everything goes right, it's going to be Paul Reddick, Pierce, uh, Griffin, and Jordan. Okay. Um, I mean, that's but that's fair. that's who knows if this is the year that Paul Pierce just doesn't have it anymore. I think I have the the Thunder is in because this under the surprise test to me, if you if you said to me like I come from the future and the Thunder in the finals in June, I would go, Yep, okay. And with the Clippers I'd be I'd say, Wow, okay, I I can see it, but it it is a little bit of a surprise. And the way that I've articulated that and I, I'd be interested to see if you agree with this is I have trouble seeing the Clippers winning two tough series in a row even before the finals. That's not to say that they can't, but I think that the idea of them, let's say it doesn't have to be these two, but let's say it's the Spurs and the Warriors. They they are capable of that, but I don't think that it is a particularly likely thing. Why are they less likely to do that than Oklahoma City? Because Oklahoma City's top-end talent can transcend it and, and the Clippers can't. I think you can shut down what the Clippers do well. I'm not. I'm not sure you can shut down a humming Thunder team. At the same time, the Thunder have kind of much more, are, are a much more unbalanced team for sure, um, which has led to problems in the past. And the ways they've changed their roster in the last year are such that like it makes it even more glaring. <laughs> um, are we are we dancing around? Yeah, let's just say the name Ennis Kanter. Um, <laughs> oh, and waiters. And, and well, yeah. I mean, you know. The less we say about him, the better. But, I mean, really, I mean, Waiters is just a guy who might be, you know, not helpful. It's going to be hard on that team for him to be actively, like, malign to their team. Uh, just because, you know, Russ or Katie will just come take the ball away from him, basically. Whereas, uh, you know, Cantor's Ennis Cantor playing defense every single possession. And, you know, you I'm, I'm writing on this this week, but, you you know, you have Serge Ibaka, so you can get away with it. But if you have Serge Ibaka, you kind of want to do better than just getting away with it. That's a great way of putting it. Uh, it's, it's something that I've had trouble with before. And Kanter, like, the people, I think, sometimes, you know, they're like, oh, he's bad defensively. He was the worst defensive center in the league last year. Would you argue that? No. Nick, like, Nick, Nick Vucevic is bad defensively. Kanter would, you know, by any number of, of things you want to look at, Kanter would have to improve leaps and bounds to be Nick Vucevic on defense. If he like if he was Nick Vucevic on defense this year, Thunder are um, right there with the kind of the Warriors and the Spurs and and the Rockets. Although they're they're kind of having get, getting banged up a little bit too late in the preseason. And what concerns me about Oklahoma City is something that actually is a concern for me with the Clippers too, which is they don't have a lot of huge improvement potential players. So, you know, you sit there and you go, oh, well, if blank player does a lot better, you know, if they pull, not a Jimmy Butler, because that was an aberration, but if they, you know, if they get a lot better, then that changes the trajectory of this team. And I think you could probably say that, that Draymond Green did that last year, even though he was good the year before. 
And with the Thunder and the Clippers, that's just not the way they built their rosters. They have a lot of good players. One team has more good players than the other, but I don't see anybody transcending substantially where they were last year. Yeah, you know, the Clipper, the Clippers, you might see kind of incremental improvements. Uh, like DeAndre Jordan might get uh, may come closer to justifying the, uh, the defensive hype. Blake Griffin could, you know, start to develop a reasonable three-point shot. Um, you know, these are things at the margins. Who knows what, uh, you know, Lance Stevenson can't be worse than he was last year. <laughs> Um, almost literally can't be worse than he was last year. And, you know, the Thunder, you know, they have guys who you could see maybe, maybe Andre Roberson is, uh, is it Roberson or Roberson? I, I go back and forth and I'm sure I'm, I'm sure I'm wrong every time. I say Roberson most of the time, but I'm honestly not sure. Yeah. Um, you know, he could become slightly less or slightly more than an offensive zero. Um, yeah. You know, Steven Adams is, should get continue to get better. Mitch McGarry could could do some interesting things. Ibaka could you know solidify his three point shooting even more. So you know there are yeah, those are you're right. Those are, there's not necessarily a guy who is primed to take quote unquote the leap on on either team really. But uh, there's certainly incremental internal improvements that are are plausible. And a, and a coaching improvement could be that change too, kind of like it was for the Warriors. <laughs> yeah, you're you're trying to get me in trouble now, but uh, the backstory is I thought that Scotty Brooks got you know just an outsized uh, share of the blame for, for Oklahoma City's failures the last couple of years. I don't think he was the best coach in the league, but well, there's there's a parallel to Monty Williams, right? You know, like where he was overly maligned relative to the potential drag he was on their success. Yeah, um, and I, I you know. At least in at least in New Orleans, uh, Alvin Gentry has proved himself to be a competent or better NBA coach. We know almost nothing about what Billy Donovan will, will be as an NBA head coach, and so just to assume that there's going to be some massive improvement there is, oh, I yeah. think, sli- slightly foolhardy. Oh, agreed. I, I think I think the assumption is there, but considering his teams ripped the heart out of my college two years in a row, and I watched him a lot longer than that, there is the potential for it, which is kind of the similar thing. I'm not saying he's an analog to Kerr, but the idea that there was the potential that he's going to be good at his job and quickly, but that is an unlikely outcome, even though it well, is an outcome. I, I just I want to push back on any comparison like Kerr. I mean, if there's ever been someone who has never coached before who has better prepared to be an NBA coach, given like their range of professional experience, oh, than Steve Kerr, I, th- I feel like being a, a general manager was was probably was a big for that. Being you know being a commentator, being a a guy who had to be a heady player because of his physical limitations, and also you know studying under some some uh, some greatness in in Phil Jackson and 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 Greg Popovich, and and taking the, the right lessons, by the way. From those guys, I think that one of those things that we kind of see from quote the coaching trees is guys trying to to take the long the wrong messages um, from the, the success. Like there's several coaches from like who've been like Phil Jackson disciples have tried to pl- do the Phil Jackson play the media game. Um, if you're I don't know Brian Shaw, you can't do that yet. Maybe you know have some success. Maybe you can say say some stuff like that that Phil could you know, by the second, third Bulls title run. But that's kind of, that was a tactic that Phil used based on kind of the the gravitas he had developed for himself. And so I know we're getting far afield here, but just the, the assumption that, oh, coaching upgrade. I'm I, I'm a skeptic on that, yeah. just and, in general. And you, have, and you have the right to be. I think we should, we can transition from that into a team that you and I are both high on, which is the Houston Rockets. And 
the way that I'm I'm thinking about it right now, and we're a week out from the start of the regular season when we record this, is I think right now they are the my favorite by a little bit of a margin to finish the season with the second best record in the West. Um, I've kind of been saying that most of the off season, so I I agree with you. Um, you know, for for whatever we read into preseason, there was there was highlights coming out last night, and one of the really interesting things is. Um, and James Harden has talked about this a little bit. The addition of Ty Lawson allows him to play off the ball. Obviously, he's devastating on the ball, but a guy who can shoot, drive, draw contact like James Harden, you're going to put you're now putting his defender in a position where he has to close out to Harden with a live dribble. It's a terrifying defensive situation to, to find oneself in, and you know you can see his 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 kind of usage uh, across the board might drop a little and have the ball less. He'll shoot a little less. He'll do less playmaking, but his effectiveness and probably his, his conditioning level or his, his physical condition by the end of the year will just be better of, of getting kind of easier situations like that, where he's attacking with an advantage rather than having to create the advantage. And I think that's a, you know, that's, that's an addition that goes beyond just, well, they added Ty Lawson. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. And what I'm excited about beyond that, and I can't say that any better than you just did, is that they can strike this balance if they want to, and if they if can make it work from an ego perspective, where they have loss in start and finish, because I think he's in their best five for sure. But you give Beverly meaningful minutes with Harden, and you go back to the other dynamic, and the other benefit of that is it does something that I hope that Oklahoma City does with Westbrook and Durant. It's that it assures that you have an offensive anchor, an offensive linchpin is probably a better word for it, yeah. on the floor at all times. And I think if they can hit those two marks with when those guys are both healthy, that makes them dangerous in a way that very few teams are. Yeah, and though he hasn't made a way back yet, they kind of have a, uh, a sneaky kind of third offensive kind of, I don't want to say foundation piece, but when, when uh, Moda Yunus is, is back, I mean, his ability out of the, out of the post is a, is a sneaky kind of second unit uh, weapon that they can, they, they, can, they can utilize also, which I think a lot of teams Lawson and Moda Yunus together would be fun. Yeah, and, and, and Moda Yunus is a, he's a, you know, a very efficient scorer in the post, good passer, can, can, can also space the floor if he's playing in kind of a spread pick and roll set. So they, like... Um, I think one of the things that I think you agree with me on this is the other thing they have is unlike in years past where they kind of had, you know, one pitch, they can now, they can throw a slider, they can throw a, it's baseball playoffs. So of course, but they can, they have these different, different looks they can throw at you with, you know, they can, you know, maybe play small with, with, with Harden, Lawson, Beverly on the floor. They can go bigger with Howard and, and, uh, uh, Moda Yunus up front. They can, you know, go four out around Howard with shooters, you know, depending on if, if Sam Decker is able to play. They have, you know, a, a lot of versatile depth in the front court, ranging from KJ McDaniels to Moda Yunus to, to, to Harrell, who I, I like as an energy player, to uh, our, both of our uh, sneaky favorite, uh, Clint Capella. Yeah, and Capella's where I was going to get, because what makes the Rockets distinct among almost any team in the NBA right now is that they get they can get if they're healthy 48 good minutes from the importance what the most important spots which for me is if you want to call it point guard if you want to call it primary ball handler whatever you want to do that and rim protector center like they can do 48 minutes of both of those and if capella 
gets better, like I think he could, and I'm not, not guaranteeing it, then if they want to rest Howard a little bit more, they can do that without suffering. And so what they can do is they can build leads and expand leads with their starters and their backups. And when I, I think about one of the big differences between the Warriors last year and the year before is that that second unit became less of a sieve. And so what that meant was the starters were good the year before, too, was that if they when the starters went off the floor, they, the other team wasn't getting back in the game and then having to do that. Instead, if, if they could even just hold it even, they could push it up. And that's actually something that happened in the Rockets-Warriors series last year is the Rockets fought pretty pretty closely when Harden was on the floor, but when Harden was off, they were just dead because they were devastated by injuries. Yeah, and and the other thing that uh, just to, to kind of carry on with that is the margin for error with their depth is okay. So so Sam Decker can't play this year. He just isn't. He isn't. So okay. Well, they have you know four other guys who could plausibly step into that role, and they don't have to hit on all of them to have a, a solid eight, nine, ten man rotation. They have enough. I mean, lottery tickets is is the wrong way to put it because the lottery means something else in the NBA. But still, that's they kind of have that 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 sort of cushion of having a lot of a lot of guys who could who could uh, you know we have you know I don't think Marcus Thornton has has much left to offer, but maybe I mean a guy who if he if he can play you know 18 minutes a night and shoot 42 percent from three, uh, that's not a terrible guy to have as your ninth man off the bench, right? A lot of good options they have there, and and they have something else that again is unusual, which is that when if if an injury happens and they need to slide players up, they have talent that can fill the smaller role. So if you think about one of the ways that I, I talk about injuries is that if a team loses a starter, sometimes they have a capable backup who can fill that role. Like you can talk about. Harrison Barnes maybe in this like so if Harrison Barnes got hurt or you know he just was hurt with Andre Iguodala filling that role the question is do they have somebody to fill Iguodala's old role and the Rockets they don't have that everywhere but Jason Terry is a very useful player who's now third on the depth chart however their big man rotation works out they're going to have minutes there whether that be Harrell coming off the bench KJ McDaniels is another player like that so they have guys I don't I don't know that I trust KJ in a 20-minute-a-game role on a team other than the Sixers, but in 10 a game, absolutely, especially with the right pieces around him. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. They're not going to have a lot of... Um, it's it's funny because it's it's a lot of people are, are, are who are big on the Celtics this year are making uh, a lot of the fact that they're never going to have to play any flat bad players. The Rockets are like that, except the Rockets also have the top end talent. Right. So they're, they're, we're not they're, counting David Lee as a bad player. <laughs> you mean two-time uh, All-Star David Lee? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, you know, not watching a ton of preseason. I don't know how much David Lee has left. I think on a team like the Celtics, it's plausible he's he could be a perfectly solid, useful player for a team that. Uh, can be offensive, uh, offensively challenged. Yeah, that, that's, so. a, that's a great way of putting it. And that is something I've noticed with them is they are a team that while they have many strengths, their weakness to me is the ability, how many guys they have, or how few in this case, can create for other people. And that's something the Rockets, to tie back, got a lot better in. The Celtics, I'm smart, could take a jump. He's a guy who could do that. But they don't really have a ton of those players. Evan Turner can create for himself, but I don't trust for other people. And Lee can do that. He can, he can through slipping every screen, through making smart passes, he can do that. And so 
well, I like the idea of Isaiah and Lee just, you know, cobbling together an offense, just the two of those guys, because they can pass. I think it might be more important to have him on the floor when Isaiah's off the floor in case Smart can't run it like people hope he can. Sure. I'm, you know, I've, I think I've, I've been fairly outspoken as being uh, pretty skeptical of the Celtics this year. Um, a lot of some of the other writers at Nylon Calculus have been coming out with win projections in like the 47, 49, 50 range. And I think that's crazy. Uh, not crazy. Um, I, but I would like, I would almost, uh, um, I would almost say something like the Celtics. I might even say this. In fact, I'll say it. Uh, the Celtics are more likely to miss the playoffs than they are to win 50 games this year. Um, win 50? I, I'd agree with that. Yeah. So 50 is a lot of wins. That's, yeah. De- decently you know, favorable schedule, obviously, but, uh, still it's going to be an interesting test into like all, like how many kind of good role players you can put together and how many, you know, <laughs> how many nickels does it take to equal a quarter almost? Um, <laughs> yeah. And, how many, uh, so we'll, we'll transition we'll, so the Spurs. I I've been of a lot of different kind of minds with them. Where are you right now in terms of where you see them in this overall title picture? So I, when I, when I wrote about the Rockets last week, you know, there's a lot of questions you can ask about the Rockets and people are asking them because, you know, for various reasons, people don't like the Rockets and those are under, they're understandable reasons, but it's still, um, but if you look at the Spurs, Spurs have a lot of questions defensively. How does it work with Duncan off the floor? You know, who's there, who protects the middle? Uh, Aldridge has, has historically not done, done that even playing. I've, I've kind of done some digging and even as a center he most guys who kind of split between power four and center show a lot more rim protection kind of going uh capability when they're playing at center than when they're playing at power forward and among those kind of guys he's basically flat he does the same kind of uh the same not much at center as he does at power forward but at center that's a uh it's a bigger hole to fill so it's a that's a problem um you know, how, how well does he fit in with their offense? How well does their offense work if Tony Parker is done or is, is, isn't, you can't count on him every night. And that's, you know, I think that has to be a real concern. Is this the year that age finally catches up to Tim Duncan? It's not, uh, you know, you don't want to wish that because he's, you know, he's a, he's a, a monument to our times, but at, at a certain point it's going to happen. And these are real questions that it's, well, they signed Aldridge, they win, I think is just premature. You're going to chuckle because you know how much I love this phrase, but I think their issue is feedback loops, that they're, they're a team that needs kind of success on both ends to fuel it if Tony Parker isn't Tony Parker, and I'm a little concerned that their defense isn't going to be good enough to fuel clean offense, as many clean offensive flicks as they usually get, and that their offense isn't going to be good enough to sabotage their defense. You know, so I think that their best-case scenario is still what it always was. I mean, that that's there, but it's so much more precarious than it used to be. And some of that comes from Patty Mills really being the only fail safe if Parker doesn't work. But what you hit on in terms of their defense is probably the bigger issue because they don't have, like we were just talking about with the Rockets, they don't have those guys that can step up on that defensive role in the interior. They have a lot of perimeter defensive talent. I love their perimeter defensive talent, but Boban Marjanovic, I don't think he's there yet. I don't know if he'll ever be there. And their other guys, they have talent. They're immensely talented. David West, Boris Diaw, Marcus, you know, lots of guys. But 
if they don't have that, there are very few teams, the, the, the Bobcats, now the Hornets, have been one of them under Steve Clifford, that have made it work without that rim protector. And I'm skeptical that they can pull it off if that can, for the moments that won't happen. Yeah, and actually, I in thinking about that, almost on the offense, they have kind of those similar, um, I think the guy they might miss a little is Marco Bellinelli, especially as Ginobili, you know, again, wondering how much he has left. And he, you know, when he was trying to get into a creative role last year, his turnovers went through the roof. Um, I, I, I looked at kind of offense creation kind of plays uh, last week at Nylon Calculus, and and. Yeah, I think he had like the highest or second highest turnover percentage on 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 plays where you know like isolations or pick and roll ball handling plays uh, of anyone in the league with significant attempts. And so they don't have a guy, another guy who, if Parker needs a night off or has doesn't have it or or what have you, who's the guy who steps into that role with just that little bit of of, of playmaking? And you know, Bellinelli was a guy who's you know no great shakes, but he has that little bit of that little bit of can run can run the occasional pick and roll in, in his in his locker and and you know you don't want to put Danny Green in that situation do you um, uh, maybe Kawhi develops that and if Kawhi develops that he's suddenly like the third best player in the league so so maybe uh, and and not necessarily a guy I'd bet against but still that who who else besides Parker uh, is going to make their offense for lack of a better term go. Uh, and then that gets you back to Parker was bad last year. He was bad this summer. Um, it's worrisome. It is. And not having, I, I, I was a little bit, Nate thinks that I'm higher on Corey Joseph than I am, but I, that was always my criticism of him. I thought he was better as kind of a complimentary piece because what the Spurs had differently than other teams was they had ball hand, capable ball handlers at positions other than point guard. And so he was a guy who I thought could bounce off those players, but Manu is falling off and, Kyle Anderson might be that guy. I'm still into the idea of Kyle Anderson with the main group. I think that it is intellectually interesting. I'm not saying, oh, it's a definite word, like Popovich is missing something obvious here. I'm saying that it's a possibility. Wow. But now, like, what what kind of a defensive team are we talking about now, though? I think Danny Green's better guarding ones than twos, personally. But but who does who does Kyle Anderson guard? Twos. Okay. He guards whoever Kawhi doesn't guard at the two and the three. Okay. I mean, but now, I mean, you're... So let's yeah. say let's say they're facing the Clippers. He faces not J.J. Reddick. Sure. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but it's, it's just you're kind of, you're, you're, you know, where it's a kind of, it's a fingers in the dike kind of thing. We're kind of mixing and matching. For and, sure. And, 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 and that's not necessarily something you ever necessarily associated with, with the Spurs of recent vintage, you know? It's, and they and they also can't really make a mid-season trade. Like they don't really have the pieces to unless somebody wants to buy high on one of their other guys. They don't really have that circumstance where you, they don't have the financial flexibility. They don't have anything else where you go, oh well, you know, well they can always flip this unnecessary but useful piece. Like let's say when the Clippers had Eric Bledsoe or when the Thunder had Reggie Jackson before they traded him in that trade. And I think that that is is a factor there. Granted, what the Spurs have that I think they have to be in this title situation beyond the best coach in the league is they're the only team that has two elite defenders on the perimeter and still has a rim protector. And that is a total game changer in terms of thinking of them in a seven-game series. Because if it works, they can still wreck everything you want to do. Sure. I'm, uh, you know, I'm just thinking about back, like, this being the Spurs is probably, like, 
Jonathan Simmons probably makes the team and then suddenly becomes like that, that sneaky, you know, 20 minute a game Spurs guy who hits big shots and plays D and everyone hates. New Danny Green? Yeah, new, yeah, exactly. Although, you know, I think we both liked him a lot in summer league, but, uh, I, you know, watching as little of preseason as I have, I, I have no idea how he's looked so far. So. Yeah, I, I, I think he's more of a guy who, who will be, who can step into that like 10 to 15 minute a game when necessary than a guy who will earn that spot immediately or even by the end of right. the year. But I, you know, he has some of that, you know, he's some of that potential. He, when I saw him in summer league, he popped a little bit. He was one of those yeah. players that we, we talked about it in person at summer league is that in many ways, that is the goal. When you're evaluating players, it's who who looks like they don't belong. Is probably the best way to put it. And in a good way. Who in looks a good like way. In a good way. We've definitely seen players who look like they don't belong the other way. Yeah. In summer league before, you're just kind of like, nope, nope, nope. I, I, Jordan Clarkson's probably a good example of that. Like Jordan yeah. Clarkson looked like he didn't belong. T.J. Warren, who I really hope plays this year, because is another guy like that. Like th- those are those players can do well. And Jonathan Simmons was one of the only guys in that group that didn't have that profile. One of the only kind of kind of rookies. Who, yes. Yeah. Like yeah. you know, not a first round pick, didn't have that pedigree, and that was you know a lot of those players were you know the Carl Townses of the world, the you know people like that. So that, that that's not saying he was as Moutier. good as they were. Moody, of course. Moody. <laughs> that's just me. Yeah. Um, uh, so I, I, unless you have more that you want to say, we'll talk about the Warriors. I'm sure later on. Uh, yeah. But, so the. Well, no. Let's let's. Uh, we can talk about him here. Yeah. You know what do you. Their win total is going to be interesting because they're going to you, you just they've they've kind of sort of I don't want to say sleptwalk through preseason but I mean who cares but um they, like their defense is such that like they they don't they have good individual defenders but they don't like overwhelm with like massive you know physical out talenting you know kind of the the Oklahoma City in their best defensive years were kind of just this like this this legion of 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 you know smothering athletes and Golden State is is their defense is slightly more subtle than that and if they're not kind of all clicking in on the same page um, and maybe the uh, that the desperation isn't there could they be in line for a little bit of a slow start and this is obviously somewhat excuse me somewhat related to to Kerr uh, not being around I think because it's not just that like they don't and I'm not saying they're like rebelling against the Walton or something like that it's just like you know, there's situations that come up and people have questions and there's not necessarily a right or wrong way to do it. It's like, but this is, this is our way of doing it and having everyone kind of have that and just have, what well, coach, how do we, how do you want to do it this way? And everyone's like, okay, we're doing it that way. And then everyone's on the same page and just not having that, um, you know, you might see some slippage here and there. And then, you know, also kind of all, all that other, you know, disease of more type stuff where, you know, they've been, uh, for understandable reasons, they've been chirpy this preseason, but you just wonder if that's going to get in the way at a certain point. The chirpiness is a great way to to, to kind of talk about what I wanted to say with this, which is there are two competing concepts that I don't think are mutually exclusive. I think the Warriors are going to deal with both. One is this team has an immense amount of chips on their shoulder considering what they've done. This is a team... I see a lot of 72-win Bulls personality-wise in this team. This is a team that wants to kill everybody. But at the same time, what makes this year so different than last year is that they don't feel the need to do it. This is a team that knows now that they can beat everybody. They don't believe it, they know it. And that is really important because 
there that's what leads to teams like what the Miami Heat did during the LeBron years, which is actually kind of hurting them in the historical context as, you know, Kevin Pelton and Nate did that did that great podcast about the the, the you know, that the Heat never had that definitive team, partially to in my eyes, because they never needed to. And Yeah, and it's also I mean it's uh more of an understanding of kind of the importance or lack thereof of kind of that last four or five you know, regular season wins that, okay, if we really kill ourselves all season, then we'll grind out those last, those last couple marginal wins. And why, <laughs> if you're like, you know, it's, it's, um, in a way Shaq was kind of ahead of his time, you know, in his, in his, uh, using the season to play his way into shape because why, why does it matter if we win 56 or 66 games? I'm still going to be, you know, still no one can guard Steph Curry when you get into the playoffs. So Okay, let's do other stuff now. Is almost you can go too far with that, obviously, but it's it's completely understandable. And and uh, so those are two two kind of things kind of competing against each other. I think. And something I wrote about with them in the Hardwood Paroxysm season preview, which I encourage everybody to purchase. That's my plug for the day. Five dollars. Five dollars is. I think that the ceiling for this team is higher than what they did last year, which is ludicrous considering they were one of the best teams of this millennium last year. But I think that there's a lot more that they can do. I think that it's not a definite, you know, like we were talking about with with a couple other teams, but their ceiling is ludicrous. I think so, although I think especially with kind of the bumps and bruises they're they're kind of picking up already and the fact that, um, you know, by most accounts, like Harrison Barnes hasn't really progressed, um, and who knows if that will keep up. Um, Neither from, you know, what I've seen has fast as Azili. Uh, by the way, let's let's um, let's slow down there a little bit about he's he's going to be ready to replace Andrew Bogut. I don't uh, for for a number of reasons. I don't think that that's 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 something that would be as seamless as as uh, many seem to think. Um, we're in, we're but, in agreement there, but at the same time, if you can get him on a reasonable contract, I oh, think sure. you yeah, extend yeah. him. You know, like uh, you, absolutely. One what well, actually because we're both CBA guys. One thing that Nate and I still haven't talked about as much. I, I hinted at this in a sporting news piece a couple weeks ago. Is I think that there will be a series of players if if everything with the incentives that are in place now that could agree to an extension with the, fully with the intention of not keeping them for even the beginning of that new contract. Kind of like what happened to Drew Holiday. Like I think that the Warriors, you know, the Warriors could sign both Barnes and Azili to extensions while still being completely open to moving both of them for the right offer. Kind of a delayed sign and trade. Exactly. Yeah. That's that, that's interesting. I mean, sure, you get you you get them on the 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 right number, but I think the right number is is lower than a lot of the numbers that have been tossed around. And, you know, people are, it's even with the, you know, the, the new cap, the exploding cap, blah, 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 that changes the numbers of, of what's reasonable and what isn't, but it doesn't, that doesn't make it any less imperative to, to not have, you know, bad money on your books. Um, it's just exactly. what becomes bad, what becomes bad money is, is different. Like, you know, and in many cases, it's not even the we can maybe get into this at some point. But a lot of the deals I didn't like this off season were more about the years than about the the dollar amount. The one that sticks in my mind is like uh, Ajinsa. Okay, he's a perfectly fine player, but why are you signing your second, third string center for guaranteed money three years down the road? Like Aaron it's Baines. Not that- Aaron Baines is a great example of that too. Like for me, if they had given Aaron Baines ten million this year. I would have had less opposition to it than giving him what they gave him. They, they gave him like twenty or three, right? Yeah, yeah. 
And you know, the funny thing is, is like you, you, if you heard Stan Van Gundy on, on, on Zach Lowe's podcast, like he kind of talks you into that deal. And then you realize how easy it is to kind of talk yourself into, into whatever, get it done. Um, and then that's, you know, that's kind of where I think the Warriors have, have generally been pretty good just in terms of, 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 you know, playing to the whistle in, in these, uh, these contract negotiations. And the players have done the reverse. The players have been like, oh, well, they've, they've kind of proven, proven that the reverse is true. You know, oftentimes you see agents do like, oh, come on, you're not going to use that two million a year or whatever. And the team's just like, you're right. You know, we're going to do that. The Warriors have kind of gone the opposite way. And they've, with Draymond Green, with Clay Thompson, they went, Oh, you know, that, that difference, you know, that's gonna, that might be devastating to us, but for you, it doesn't make that big a difference. I'm guessing that was their pitch. I don't know what their pitch was, but they've been able to manage that time pressure in a way that other teams like Detroit, both with Reggie Jackson and with people like Baines, just haven't done. Yeah. And, you know, any individual deal and a million here, a million there, not a big thing, but sooner or later, we're talking about real money. Sooner or later, we're talking about that backup point guard you suddenly can't afford because you don't have you know, the cap space for him um, or, or something, you know, just that guy, if we just had, you know, $4 million, we could, we could, we could get, I don't know, pick, pick a name of a, of a serviceable kind of, you know, uh, Marco Bellinelli. We, if, we, if we just had that little extra, we could, he'd really help us or something like that. And as just one example, like, you know, you're telling me that say Chicago wouldn't, uh, wouldn't love to have an extra $5 million lying around for a, backup point guard right now so to to have to have gone after i don't know a jameer nelson or, or some someone like that this summer so like a, a guy who's going to be solid and professional and fine he's if he's your starter you're probably not great but if he's a guy you have to start um you're in better shape than having to roll out aaron brooks every night so i don't know yeah i i think we're on the same page there and is there anything else on the words or do i want to move on to players we can move on to players. I mean, I, you know, who do you think on the Warriors is, is, is there anyone on the Warriors you think is primed to, you know, take an individual step up this year, knowing that it's probably not going to be Barnes? Is, is I, 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 ne- I never thought it was going to be Barnes. Yeah. I think Azili, if, so going back to the idea of 48 good minutes, if Azili can be, can, let's say what he was in the finals, which was, you know, some of the best he's played in his entire career. So I'm not saying that's representative. But if he can do that more regularly, I think that would be important and useful. But I don't think the Warriors really have that. I think it's more overall system intelligence and working within it. And the idea, something that Coach Kerr nailed into this team early in the year, but that they didn't process until I covered this team, I would say probably around March, was that you can get better shots than you're taking because... That was one of my biggest criticisms of Mark Jackson was that this, the team settled too much. And Clay Thompson in particular, I would say, would be would, was one of the examples of this, where he would, he would, he's so, such a good shooter that he'd be like, okay, I can, I, you know, I can make that shot instead of I can get us a dunk or I can get us, you know, a wide open corner three. And I think that an entire offseason working within that understanding could totally change the way that this offense functions in a positive way. <laughs> oh, so even better. Um, yeah, I think I think they could be meaningfully better offensively. Their defense won't be better, but their defense was best in the league. So, yeah. Yeah, you, um, the guy who you know you hear whispers about, who's guy who might you know take a step and become like that rotation guy is James Michael McAdoo. What do you what do you Maybe. think about yeah. that? I, I I'm I mean, not as sold. So what 
I was really high for those who want to dig through my real GM archives. I was super high on McAdoo when he was a freshman and sophomore in college. And the reasoning behind it was I thought he could become what at that time was the definition of a stretch four, which was, you know, deep twos, not as much the three that has since changed in the last couple of years a little bit more because that was, you know, four or five years ago, if memory serves. What concerns me is his jumper isn't as reliable as I thought it would be. And he's not quick enough to really make that work. So what happens is when you play him on a second unit with a big man who can't shoot, i.e. Festus Azili, he doesn't he, he doesn't bring enough to the table that way. He's not a bad player, but I don't think that he's going to make that jump. But if Azili can do it, Spates at the four, I think, is magnificent for the Warriors because that mitigates all the spaciness he has on defense. Like, Spates, for better or for worse, you know, his... What he does is, you know, he's kind of that kind of. I, I like to think of him as a goldfish with a lot of confidence. You know, he doesn't he doesn't remember he doesn't remember anything. He can get distracted very easily, but he does what he does, and I think that that is a lot more effective on the defensive end at the at the four. Offensively, it's better at the five because you have to respect his shot out to twenty two feet because you know he's going to shoot it. Hey, <laughs> the shot and only the shot. Yeah, so see, I, yeah. I think that McAdoo, I, w- I wouldn't be completely floored if I were wrong, you know, if it was if he was better than I thought, but I'm more confident in Azili, I'm more confident in actually the other spot, and I've been critical of Barbosa for a while, I mean, I mean, he's a great guy to have on the team, he should be there, is if they can get a more kind of steady shooter from the two spot, whether that's Ian Clark or I've been pushing, I think Michael Frazier would be an interesting addition for them. If they can get somebody in that spot who basically the, the archetype for me is Anthony Morrow. All they're asking them oh, to do is okay. hit open shots. <laughs> just, just Anthony Morrow. No, but like that's the archetype. Just, he's, he's yeah. the, he's the, he's that for a reason. That's not to say, Oh, well, you can get yeah. Anthony Morrow though. They probably could have two summers ago and I'm not going to bark it down that tree again. But they, but just a guy who all you tell him to do is hit open shots, and he says, okay, boss, and that's all he does. Because Barbosa, he creates, and that's nice and, and all that, but I think that there is a value to that. And also, that player then allows you to, if Clay Thompson has to miss time, to replace him, which is something that they do not have right now. That's fair. Although, you think if, if Thompson misses time, don't they just put like Iguodal in the starting lineup and kind of shrug their shoulders at the kind of the loss of shooting a little bit and go Yeah, they, they do. And when you have Stephen Curry, that's a lot more palatable, especially when Draymond, if Draymond Green can actually make threes, which he usually can, but doesn't always, then, then you can, you can afford that actually more in the starting lineup than you can with the backups because last year their backups were spacing death. It was an underrated, underappreciated part of that team, but they still had so much talent that it didn't matter because, you know, they, they right. could defend really well. They could score in transition because they had good passing. But th- I think that would be would be huge for them, and it'll a lot of it will depend on talent and depend on who they have. But I, I, I think that what is going to de- kind of define them in some ways is they were really lucky last year in a couple ways, but especially in health. And... We, while they handled... Oh, hold on, hold on. You just called the Warriors lucky. Oh, uh, I, I, I'm, oh, I, oh no. I'm getting oh, ready, no. To, I'm getting ready to write a piece on Warriors World talking about how they were lucky in the playoffs too and how that doesn't, how that does that's not saying anything particularly negative about them. I mean, I, okay, you're a good person to talk with about this. Okay, I'm just gonna, we're just gonna take a short little two minute step into this. 
I don't think saying the Warriors were lucky in the playoffs is any sort of impugnment on what they did. It's one of the dumbest things this offseason. Oh, they were lucky. As same as every other title team. Yeah. Like And they, I would say they were luckier than many, but who cares? They were a 67-win team. They were the favorites to win the title. Were anyway. they? Were they luckier than many or did they just their their quote-unquote luck happen to happen at you know, certain points. In the playoffs, I think they were luckier. They didn't, you know, every well, team had I mean, their look, starting but, point guard you look, hurt. You look at the Cavs, I mean, is it, was it luck for the Cavs that Indiana was eliminated from consideration last summer instead of, you know, late with a late season injury because of the Paul George injury? I mean, is that, how is that any, any you know, was it lucky for the Cavs that all of a sudden nobody on the Hawks could hit a shot, open or not, anymore? Well, I think the Cavs were luckier than the Warriors because the Cavs also right. had, they had they had the benefit of playing teams that that they didn't. What I would say is, did you face your most dangerous opponent, and were they close to their best? And so the Warriors were fortunate in that way because their most dangerous opponent to me was the Spurs. They didn't have to face them at all. And probably next was the Cavs, and then next would be the Rockets. And neither of those two teams were anywhere close to their best just because of injuries. That does not mean that this Warriors team would not or could not have beaten those teams in a seven-game series had they been closer to their best. Well, they beat the crap out of the whole league for the entire season. Exactly. So, like, let's 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 think, uh, you know, on a historical level. And so, oh, they got lucky and won. Well, okay, there, there's been plenty of teams that, you know, were really good in the regular season and then had an injury and lost in the playoffs. See, uh, for example, recent Thunder and Bulls teams. So they were unlucky. If they had been lucky, they might well have won championships because, uh, you know, you need to be both good and lucky to win. And so saying that they were lucky is basically saying, I mean, it's 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 assumed from the fact that they, in fact, won the championship, that they were lucky on some level, even if it's just the absence of bad luck. And it it uh, it, it kind of drives me crazy that this is um, yeah. that it, it's that somehow is is by the way, both by um, people saying the warrior trying to use it to say, well, they weren't actually that good, which is ludicrous. ludicrous. Yeah. I like that we and, use but, the same word, but yeah. Yeah. But, but also like, you know, people on, on like on the warrior side, like taking offense, it's like, okay. And you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, we, we, we both went to law school. Like it's, it's kind of an early, like it's a, it's a, it's a demure. It's like, yes. And <laughs> you know what? Uh, even if everything you say is true, it doesn't matter. Okay, we were lucky. We were still better than everyone else, and we deserve to win. Yeah, motion, so, motion, motion to dismiss granted. Yeah, fine, go away. I, I'm I'm officially sick of hearing about how the Warriors were lucky because. Um, yeah, and it, who, who and so yeah. and and it doesn't they they're still going to have the Larry O'Brien Trophy even if every player on Cleveland had gotten dysentery they still have the trophy so but <laughs> so uh, move on so I have had a lot of trouble myself articulating this so I will leave it to you to say and so the the options for you are it's the players who are candidates for either or you can do more than one if you want most valuable player most outstanding player or best player. I'm going to go kind of the most outstanding player because valuable, then you have to argue about what does value mean. And then you're getting into kind of narratives and expectations and stuff like that. So going into the season, it seems like there are four reasonable candidates for kind of that role. And that's, that's, you know, LeBron, uh, Anthony Davis, Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. You know, you could talk me into maybe a few other guys at the margins. Um, 
could could Westbrook get in that conversation if things work out a certain way in OKC? Okay, if Kawhi takes an, another step forward on offense, I, I think that he he would never have a chance of getting the recognition just because so much of his value is kind of the the on the invisible side of the ball, um, where uh, you know he's just a, a monstrous defender and and unless you're just, DeAndre Jordan, yeah. Uh, in, in which case, it's just it's it's uh, it's illusory, right? Yeah. <laughs> then, um, no, I mean DeAndre Jordan's a good defender. He's not the, he was not the third best defender in the league last year. So, yeah. con- congratulations, Doc, on, on on selling people on that. Anyway, so those I think are the are the main candidates, unless I'm you know missing someone obvious. Would you have Harden? You just have him in a group down, which I think is fair. I mean, I think that I um I think that he's likely, certainly from a number standpoint, to take a step back this year. And by the way, that's good for Houston that Great he's doing for so. Yeah. So um, and I think just naturally, I don't th- I think that him duplicating last season is um, unlikely. Let, let me put it this way: he was probably closer to the edge of his capabilities last year than Curry was. Yeah, and um, he's worse defensively. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. or at least at least it's I would say he you know I, I don't think it's a huge difference I I definitely don't think Curry's yeah. an elite defender or anything like that, but I do think that Curry can hold his own in a way that I I don't I like Harden if it were me and this is also the benefit of being a two as opposed to a one is I would more often just say hey Trevor you take the toughest guy James you get whoever whereas with yeah. Curry I would be a lot more comfortable saying. You know, unless it's Russell Westbrook or you know that 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 group of people who nobody can defend, I would feel a lot more comfortable just saying, you know, Curry, defend who you want. Yeah, and I think, by the way, I think that that Harden's defense probably, as his offensive kind of burden reduces, I think his defense probably uh, improves a little bit. And you know, the big, I think the big change between two years ago and last year for Harden is. Um, and again, this is something I wrote last week is, you know, his, his defense improved a fair amount. It was kind of one part extra effort to four parts, um, figuring out how to rest smarter, which I think by the way is, is exactly how he should be playing. Um, if you like, you know, there's, there's very little reason for, for, for what Houston needed for James Harden to wear himself out, like, you know, using equal energy on offense and defense. LeBron! Well, you know, all right. It's LeBron at age twenty-eight could do that, and nobody else. No, no, I know. I'm talking about current yeah. LeBron. Like that yeah. year is like twenty-eight. Yeah. Prime Prime LeBron was the exception that proves the rule. Like that's why. Right. That's why Prime LeBron is in the conversation for me with the best best players and best seasons of all time. Was that he didn't have to make the choice that everybody else has to make. Right, and uh, it, it's just it's. Um... It's it's funny because it, it came up again recently. But if you remember the the Zach Lowe piece from a couple of years ago about kind of the the ghost defenders from uh, from uh, Toronto's analytics department looking at uh, at Sportview data, like they they were just hyperkinetic and 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 they basically admitted like uh, actual players in the NBA who can play like this. There's probably one in LeBron. So you know it's it's uh, that's just in terms of, of physical capabilities. Like yes, he was the guy who could who could expand that effort on both ends on a consistent basis over 82 games. Um, but, but that guy is, you know, understandably no longer with us because uh, time is undefeated. Yeah. Davis has been confounding to me because history shows that players who were as good as he was at a young age get better. But I struggle to see how that happens just because I don't know. I can't visualize 
offensively. Defensively, I can see it. I, I could, that's pretty clear to me. Offensively, I don't know what that means. Oh, I think being a better playmaker is, is offensively. Maybe, you know, maybe extending out to the three point line a little bit. But other than that, it's, it's, I think it's the biggest thing he can add. That's, it's kind of the, the, and actually just honestly being just better at getting his own shot. Um, he's, he's actually, you know, for as good a score as he is, uh, he's not great at here, Anthony, take the ball, go score. Just, um, and that's kind of, um, again, Monty Williams got a lot of, got a lot of heat for not putting the ball in Anthony Davis's hands enough at the end of games. It's like, well, that's, that's maybe a little bit of a, of a, of a lack on, on his part uh, as much as anything else. So, um, uh, Davis part, not, not Monty's part. So that's something he can get better at. Um, yeah, I don't think he's ever going to be, you know, Carmelo Anthony. Uh, but he, but moving, moving kind of more down the line to, you know, becoming a slightly less dependent scorer, um, especially for a team that has, you know, kind of some up in the air stuff at, uh, at, at point guard with, with Holiday's situation and, and Evans, who I think is an underrated offensive player, but still isn't, isn't, isn't the most precise passer. Every once in a while, I catch myself thinking about Davis initiating five as at a center initiating five four and five three pick and rolls, and I just get way too excited. And I don't think I don't think he has that skill set yet. Um, I think he could do it as like a change of pace, you know, kind yeah. of one, one of those things. I don't think you you put it in there. Mostly, one of the ideas I've talked about this a little bit before that I just love as a just as a general sports person. I used to do this. I, the sport I was good at was soccer. You were good at many more sports was doing something that you're not necessarily great at just because the others, the opponent is going to be so confused by it that you can use that to your advantage both in the present and in the future. It's kind of the idea of everybody knowing you're the wild card, and so they have to think about it differently than if, if they can expect something. Sure. Anthony Davis at center. And what concerns me about that is that he is a – his reputation as a defender has preceded him partially because he was so awesome at Kentucky, but he is to me more of an an excellent complementary defender as opposed to a primary. So I, I would I would say the difference is what Andrew Bogut does well versus what ah, Serge Ibaka is probably like maybe what Prime Josh Smith did is maybe a, maybe a good example of that. I think that's I think that's a that's a it's kind of the versatility of of being able to. Um, I think that, uh, you know, for both the last two years, I've kind of talked a lot about how, you know, despite his gaudy block numbers, he's not actually the best, you know, you're anywhere close to the best rim defender in the league. And that's, and that's true. Um, a big part of that is he ends up away from the basket a lot, but some of that is he's, his, his mobility and length in his hands allow him to, you know, create turnovers out on the perimeter like that, which is very valuable. So I think that, you know, his, his surprisingly underwhelming uh, rim defense probably undersells his his defense by a decent amount. I, I, how nasty would a Davis Nerlens Noel front court have been? Right. Ugh. I think I because I, I, I think I've, I don't know if I've ever told this on the podcast. I definitely wrote a little thing about it once. The year that that draft happened, the Nerlens draft was the year I wanted to try out 
being off Twitter and everything else during the draft. So I had no idea that anything else had happened when they picked him, and I was so excited. <laughs> I was beyond excited, and then 10 minutes later, whenever they said the trade, I was just crestfallen. I, I, so by the, I, just, I, I just looked this up. 88% of Anthony Davis's shots last year came off of zero or one dribble. Yeah, and that's 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 what I mean about his not yet having that, uh, and he didn't have a you know wasn't wasn't a, the world's best passer, uh, not a bad passer, very not very turnover prone at all, but not so he has yet to really demonstrate the ability to consistently be kind of an offensive initiator. He's a fantastic you know best finisher in the league almost in terms of just the versatility and the ways he can you know either um, you know pick and pop, pick and roll. Uh, you know, slide to the rim off of weak side action, all all those things. So, who would you say is the best pro finisher in the league? I, mean, I think. I mean, I think he has to be. You know, right there. Because um, like DeAndre is probably the most successful, but that's because he has a great point guard and does a lot. There's a lot of limiting of to what he does best. Yeah, no, and I think. I, I mean, I think building in kind of the versatility of of his ability to to both you know hit hit jump shots and finish at the rim. Um, you know. I, I think he's probably a comparable finisher at the rim to Blake Griffin, but uh, but a better jump shooter, um, and obviously a massively better jump shooter than than, than uh, DeAndre Jordan. So you know, I, I, for, offhand, how where's Cousins in this? Because I think Cousins as a as a more as a finisher as a finisher as opposed to a shooter. I think he, I, I always think of him as just get putting him in. Um, I would have to I'd have to do some research, but I think that and it, 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 a guy like Cousins, it's complicated just because of. of of how often he gets fouled as well, but True. he's uh, Davis is definitely a better jump shooter. Definitely far less turnover prone on on kind of pick and pop situations. But then Cousins also has kind of the ability to kind of you know play bully ball, play uh, play volleyball on the on the backboard, just using his his kind of bulk that that maybe Davis doesn't have yet. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, you want to move on to playoff teams? Sure. So I, I, we don't need to talk about this too much. I would say anybody that is out, maybe outside of what would be expected. I mean, the last couple spots in the West are going to be interesting. Um, I, you know, I, I think everyone is kind of Utah isn't isn't a sneaky pick for anybody anymore. So I don't know. It's gonna. I think it's going to be about who we think it's going to be in the West. Um, I think we're. Uh, I think Dallas and Portland probably drop out, and uh, OKC and Utah come in those that's the most likely situation i don't know what what do we think of phoenix what do we think of um uh, the less we think of sacramento the better i uh, think <laughs> i think sacramento might end up with the ninth best record in the west okay i don't think i don't think they're gonna end up with the eighth best record i don't i don't they're i mean they're a team a term that i'm trying to trying to phrase it perfectly is disaster potential like they're a team with serious disaster potential yes but they're a team that has upside. That's the difference between them and the Nets to me. Is like the Nets have serious disaster potential, but the only reason that they could possibly make the playoffs is because the East is not what it, it should be. Yeah. And so I think that. So we'll we'll see where uh, where that goes. But I think that they have the potential, and now they've hit a, a more, an important critical mass in terms of talent, which a lot of teams in the West haven't. You, you know what? I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw a team out there, and this is gonna sound crazy, and I'm obviously biased on this because you know of of my uh, well known love for certain players. I'm but, very uh, excited for this. What 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 do we think about Denver? I think Denver's a year away. I could see it though. There, I I think that 
they have a lot of pieces. There, I something that I think we've both talked about a little bit is I, I think think that Minnesota has a lot more like rotation level players, but I think Denver has more than anybody gives them credit for. I mean, they've they've got some. Okay, if if Gallo is kind of is 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 back, that's that's a that's kind of a game changer for them. I don't think that uh, I think he, he, <laughs> he I'm gonna I'm gonna do the classic thing. I don't think enough people talk about this thing that everyone's actually talking about uh, is is how good and versatile Gallo is as a player, offensively, defensively, uh, you know, ability to to create offense both for himself and for others, get to the line, um, you know. Probably not as good a shooter as people think he is, but that's you know, uh, European big man must be good shooter kind of thing. So, I mean, that's that's something. I mean, I think you know from the little I've caught in preseason, Wilson Chandler, who's a player I've always liked, he looks like he's in really good shape. They've got a lot of interesting big guys. Um, obviously, you know, Nurkic's health is, is kind of a is kind of a, a monkey wrench there, but um, uh, uh, Jokic and, and Laverne. I'm not the biggest fan of Laverne's potential, but still, they look like NBA players. Um, do they have enough shooting on the wings? Gary Harris is going to have to make some shots. Uh, Moutier is going to shoot terribly and have a billion turnovers, but still going to be so much fun. So maybe I'm talking myself out of them now. <laughs> but still, they're, they're going to be a team I'm going to like to watch very much. Well, another parallel to Minnesota is I kind of hope they struggle one more year because I think that'll give them the pieces to be a lot better three years from now. And sure. because they're not my team, so I can root for that. That is completely <laughs> fair. I don't feel like a jerk for doing it. But and in the the East is weird because I think that I have I feel like I have a pretty good grasp of it. But there is the understanding that injuries are going to completely wreck at least two teams. So it's just kind of whoever that's going to be. It's kind of hard to get too excited about the East when it's Cleveland and barring like something weird happening in Chicago. I don't see any team. I mean, there are, there are people saying, "Well, what about the Hawks?" And it's like, no, just just no. Um, I think that they were they weren't as good as their record was last year, and their team isn't as good as their team was last year. Um, and you know, you know, I think the second best team in the East could best could easily be Washington. And are they a you know are they a team that in any universe you would consider like a legit contender? No. Do you want to do you want to play the Cavs game that I've been playing this summer with people? I think I might have played it with you at summer league. Okay. Excluding LeBron, so we assume healthy LeBron. How many starters could they lose, meaning that they are ineligible conceptually from playing in that series, and still have them be the favorites in the Eastern Conference? I think as long as they have LeBron and one of either Kyrie or Love healthy, um, they're they're I think they're probably the the favorite over basically anyone else in the East. I'm not sure they need either. I mean, it helps, obviously. Yeah. Because Moskov did well. Yeah, Moskov did well, but he's, he's, he's limited. Um, and it just, I like over, I think that over seven games, I think that we would see kind of a little bit what we saw from LeBron in the finals in that, you know, he would just have to do so much that, over seven games, I think that would that would his his effectiveness would decline to the point that unless they like swept or won four to one or something like that, they'd be at such a disadvantage at the back end of a series just because they they were needing so much from LeBron uh, just to to stay in every game. But I mean, even the fact that we can have that part of this conversation means that they're in such a ridiculous place. Yeah, 
it's almost more about the, the, the lack of another team really taking that, that step forward. I think if we, um, you know, Chicago maybe has a, has a move or two to make. I think with, with the way Bobby Portis and to some extent McDermott has looked in the preseason, I, I kind of feel that makes, you know, Taj Gibson semi expendable and maybe use him to, you know, beef up their perimeter, whether it's backup point guard or, kind of uh, a little bit more depth at small forward since uh, they're going to be without Dunleavy for a while. Is, is now a good time to mention that if they had kept that draft asset instead of trading for Canner, that in January that might have been used to get Pau Gasol? Huh. I, yeah. I, that, that, one of the ways that that decision was so crazy was just where that Oklahoma City team was last year. And the yeah. idea that, that, that they used it at that point because what Chicago... They're in a in a tough spot in the immediate because they can't trade any of their guys right now. They're they're too nebulous. They have so many injury risks. But I would I think it would be a poor use of resources if they kept all of them after the deadline. If assuming relative health, just because they can't play them all. And so I think that if you you know you figure out if Taj can work with Miritich and or Portis, and if he does, then I think you move one of the other guys. And if he doesn't, then you move him you can think about it in both of those ways. So like, yeah, they're going to have this talent imbalance right now. And also why I'm fascinated by the bulls in terms of the idea of an, of an, a mid season addition is they have less needs than most teams because they have Jimmy Butler. And when Derek Rose is functional, they can get, you know, let's say it's 24 minutes out of him, you know, even if it's not 48 or 20, I mean 30. So if they can get that out of him, so you're, you're looking for less things and anything helps you a little bit more. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, but you just you, you look around the East and it, and there's just like there's this you know four or five teams kind of just hovering at that that would would it, could any of these teams beat a semi healthy Cavs team and it's it's like I mean who who are the the contenders for that spot it's, it's, it's uh, Miami I think I think a healthy Miami is and, is is, a, is an interesting contender though they you, lack the perimeter defender the LeBron stopper that Chicago has. And you want to talk about a team where the pieces don't fit. I think their pieces fit, but I think that their pieces fit if everybody's healthy and if you lose one thing, it all falls apart. A proverbial house of cards. I mean, I don't know. There's, it seems like there's just a lot of, of mouths to feed and their mouths that, that get fed in kind of different styles. And plus the fact that, you know, what do we expect from Whiteside this year? Um, <laughs> and that's that's kind of a... It's kind of a question hanging over them, and and you know you'd be foolish to to make any sort of definitive claim about this is what he's going to do this year, just because kind of his situation is so unprecedented. A guy off the street coming in to play at you know max level big man talent, but there's a reason that he was on the street. So you and, know. We, and we saw it while he was showing that max level talent. Yeah, they're they're just, they're going to be a weird team. They're they're a weird make. They're they're much more of. Of, of a fantasy team construct than a than a than an actual NBA team almost. That's fair. I'm now thinking about a hypothetical front court of Ibaka, Pau Gasol, and and Adams splitting time, and I'm just getting more and more angry. <laughs> that's all that's happening. I'm just yeah. getting angry. And if you imagine Durant getting some of those spot minutes at the four, yeah. oh my god, I'm just getting bitter. Well, yeah, just I mean, even without Gasol, just imagining Ibaka uh, Ibaka at the five and 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 Durant at the four. It's like why would why is that a bad anyway? Yes, but I, the only the issue there, and this connects back with Anthony Davis, is the reason that you wouldn't want to do that is if the player doesn't want to do it. And 
I mean, in the regular season, the playoffs, I think you can tell guys suck it up and do what you're going to do. But but they, you're not. But it's not like they don't have other. You know, you, you can still you can get thirty minutes a night out of thirty thirty five minutes a night out of you know uh, uh, some combination of Adams, Collison, and McGarry at center, and then fifteen minutes a night, ten fifteen minutes a night, you're playing Ibaka at the five and and Durant at the four. You're telling me that's not workable? Oh, I think it's workable. I'm just telling you that a lot of coaches especially make it their business to make sure the players are as happy as possible. And 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 then there's Indiana. And and then there's Indiana who is doing it nominally, which is hilarious because it probably makes him more mad than it will actually affect his life. Unless they're going to ask him to defend Anthony Davis and Zebo and all of that every night, in which case they don't deserve Paul George. That's the weird thing is, is... With their roster, playing him at the four doesn't necessarily create the advantages of... He's almost too good for moving him to the four to create the advantages that, like, small ball kind of does. Well, he's too good, and, and his co- complementary players are too bad. Yeah. You know, that, that's the whole point. Is, I mean, because you know, you're, you're essentially... I mean, honestly, from the, the opposition standpoint, you're basically you're playing C.J. Miles at the four. Yeah, exactly. Basically. When you are so good that the other team is building around you then where that matters is in terms of how the team has to defend everyone else. So if the other team feels comfortable that they can defend C.J. Miles with Zach Randolph, then I, I see a very real cha- chance that this hurts the Pacers on both ends. Because if they're dumb enough to have him, and I'm, Frank Vogel's a very smart coach, so I'm not saying this is like Frank Vogel's a dumb guy or anything like that, but if they feel the pressure to especially that a lot of teams have better offensive, physically dominant power forwards, to put Paul George on those guys, Kevin Loves, well, actually, that's a bad example because the Cavs have (laughs) another guy. But, um, you know, the players like that, the offensively gifted but bigger power forwards, then you're hurting Paul George, you're wearing him down, you're doing all those types of things, and you're not using That's the biggest thing, by the way, is... um... And Nate talks about this all the time that you know playing up is no fun. That's the why it's no fun is you get beat up. Yeah, you, especially you, you know. the three four jump with yeah. these fours. Well, and and I uh, early in the summer, kind of when this first became a thing, I looked at it and it's basically like you're basically involved in double the amount of kind of rebounding wrestling matches per game, and that that's probably underselling it even a little bit, just in terms of like the ball is near us, we're fighting for the rebound. You're you're involved in, in more than twice as many of those as a power forward as you are as a small forward. And then on and the offensive end, they're gonna just gonna defend you with their three. Yep. And and then so yeah, maybe you're creating a you're creating a tactical advantage for CJ Miles, who is good who's, at many things but not capable of exploiting Miles? that. You know, like <laughs> And, and so that that and the Warriors are a great example of this. You know, like the Warriors, part of the reason that they were able to make it work is that you couldn't slack off them in the ways that other teams could. Incidentally, the way that the Warriors did against Memphis. You know, like that's the difference. Is if yeah. you can, if you create a mismatch that they cannot mitigate, that's a great thing. If you create a mismatch that can be easily mitigated, then you're not helping yourself. Oh. Sorry, I was just looking at Twitter, and uh, Tyreek Evans had successful arthroscopic surgery on his right knee this morning. Oh, God! Timetable for his return is something. Is TBA. Okay, Anthony Davis' MVP case is getting both harder and easier at the same time. Right. Because his usage rate is going to be... Yeah. Who's 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 their third point guard? Like, if Holiday can only play, you know... Well, isn't Norris Cole hurt? Oh, man. Who's their fourth point guard? Is Nate, Eric Gordon going to play point Nate guard? Rob, Nate Robinson? 
You talk about a team that should have, I mean, maybe Huertas didn't want to go there, but, you know, like that the team that could have used Huertas, I don't know if you've watched much of the Lakers in the preseason, but the guy can pass. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, is and no, I haven't watched much of the Lakers in the preseason. West Coast? Sorry. I, yeah. They played the I, Warriors, it seems like they played the Warriors a couple times in a row. So I, that, I, I did see I did see uh, Ryan Kelly and Noah Vonley last night. But that, that was magnificent. Yeah, that was that was a no-doubter. That wasn't just like I, I snuck up and dunked on you. That was, I I dunked all over you. Yeah, he sized him up. That was more of yeah. the, the, uh, the way I think about it is Amari Stoudemire when he dunked on Tolliver in the best second best dunk I've ever seen in person. He said after the game, he said, I hope he jumps. Like that was more that kind of dunk <laughs> than, and the Larry Nance one was in that too. You know, two great yeah. preseason dunks. But uh, yeah, and, I mean, the Pelicans, and John Moore. Uh, anyway, yeah, it's a, and so I think that, but but the Pelicans I, are in a place that is fortunate in a way because I think that the the gulf between the eight best teams and the ninth team in the West is fortunate for them. I think that you know that it's a little bit farther off. The Kings, you know, I think the Kings might be the ninth. You know, it might end up the ninth best with the ninth seed. That isn't saying oh they're going to be super good. That just means I think that Phoenix could fall off. I think that Denver might not be ready. You know, and odds are somebody's going to break through just because that usually happens. But they might have more of a buffer than we think just because of the way everything split, especially when the underline underscore in that is what happened to Dallas. Yeah. They so, might you know, they might be really not good this year. Like that yeah. I think people are under understating that possibility. Fre- uh, friends of Nylon Calculus, the Dallas Mavericks. <laughs> yeah. I say that because, because uh, uh, and it's not it. entirely their fault. It's mostly no, not no, their I, fault. no. I'm not. I'm, 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 I'm not being facetious. They've yeah. actually so two of two of our writers from Island Calculus are actually, or now I guess former writers are are interning in the Mavs analytics department this year. So, Which uh, is great. Congratulations to the Mavericks and yeah. the Island Calculus. <laughs> so the the, the but uh, they're going to be in the analytics department the, the, of a team that might be keeping their own pick because it's top seven protected. Yeah, they they got they've got some issues. And, the, and so I, we we can talk about that if you want, but we'll, we'll do the we'll do the last scheduled question first, which is is, what, is the question broadly speaking, you can make it big or small if you want, that you are most that you most want to have answered this season, like about a specific team or. I think that's probably the most likely thing, but it, I mean, if you have an NBA-wide question that you think is going to be answered this year, then by all means. Well, no, I, I mean, kind of the the long-standing question is kind of the NBA-wide is kind of the the outer limits of of the amount of three pointers. You know, at what point does it do additional three pointers start to become? You know, I, you can always point to individual cases. Well, that you should have found a better shot than jacking that one, but kind of in an aggregate sense, at what point? Do we are we pushing up against the bounds of that, or is there still room to go in terms of more threes, more threes, more threes? And how much of that is an offensive philosophy thing, and how much of it is a defensive philosophy thing? So yeah, that's, um, I like it. I like that, it a lot. And that's a it's a kind of a it's a big weighty topic, isn't it? That's a big um, weighty topic. Uh, so I'll, I'll give one that. Uh, so the one I said last time, I'll just say briefly, which is that will the non-point guard experiment in Utah work? But then the second one, which gets after after an area that I think is still somewhat close to your heart, what are Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins going to be? Because I think that what they yes. are right now is is irrelevant. I think that you know the the Wolves. They shouldn't be concerned at all about where they are this year. But 
what they are in the future because they are the only team that I can think of that is not good right now that has two potential game-breaker players and that could be getting a third in 10 months. And so, like, if, and what they have to do is they have to figure out two big things. One is, what are those guys, like, what are their ideal role offensively and defensively? And knowing that, what of the players that they currently have makes sense with that? Yeah. The thing about the Wolves is you just, you wonder if, if especially for, well, really for either of them, if they're going to be the best laboratory for, figuring out how those guys fit into a kind of a modern NBA system. Because without wanting to speak ill of, of Flip Saunders, given his, his, his health situations, the, the, their, their system is not on the cutting edge in that front, I'll say. So, you know, it's long, a long range, like uh, a big difference in like what Andrew Wiggins is going to be is, can he shoot three-pointers? Um, and there may be in a situation where they don't want him to shoot three-pointers because reasons. So that's kind of a that's kind of a problem. How much is Towns going to be used as an ISO post player versus I don't know a pick and pop pick and roll guy? Those are questions which you know if they go the wrong way with them, then they're actually kind of almost stunting their ability to see what they have because they're they're doing things that are suboptimal for the competitive environment anyway, and so they're finding out things that aren't useful. To know, I mean, they're useful. No, but they're less useful saying than saying like, you know, can Andrew Wiggins like be a high volume catch and shoot player from you know above the, above the break? And that's a that would be a useful thing to know in terms of his his upside as a player, right? Yeah, we saw a little bit of it with Team Canada, but we'd like to see it over an eighty two game season as opposed to the weirdness that was FIBA Americas. Yes. Yeah, I, I, you're right that that is, a, that is a challenge with them. And also what will make them so ludicrously frustrating to watch this year, probably, is that we'll be seeing that. I, I, I've already talked about it a little bit because I, I, I'm an advocate, or not an advocate. I, I enjoy playing the, playing the 2K video games. I'm still, I'm still a 10-year-old at heart. <laughs> and with some frequency, you know, at least once a week, I roll a Rubio, whoever at 2, Wiggins, Bielitsa, Towns lineup set it set it basically like at infinite pick and rolls infinite like as fast as the offense can run and it that like even with that unit which is imperfect you know you can just do some things and we but, but the answers that conceptually me as a video game player saying are probably not the same probably definitely not the same lessons that we will actually learn yeah and and I yes I think you you much more directly. <laughs> you you were much more direct in stating that than I was. I was kind of circumspect, I suppose, but yes, I agree. We, okay, so we fit that stuff. Is there anything else in terms of we were taught this? Is, the idea of this is to be a season preview. Is there anything else that you think is important that we haven't discussed? I mean, I think that uh, that that how things gel in in Houston and San Antonio, and the you know the kind of the those four not Warriors teams in in the West, like how kind of. You know the the new things kind of coalesce. You know whether it's Donovan coaching in OKC, the 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 depth maybe in 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 Clipperland, the um, you know how the the loss in addition and how and if they can get that all to work together in Houston and then um, integrating Aldridge and and kind of seeing what uh, Tony Parker has left, all how all that stuff gels. 
it's going to be really an interesting question. And, you know, it's the kind of thing where those questions will probably be answered three or four different ways at different points in the season. And so it's kind of, those are, those are trends to watch kind of as the season rolls on, because, you know, all of those teams are going to make the playoffs and um, kind of where they end up, uh, you kind of want to avoid that four or five slot. But other than that, it doesn't seem like it matters terribly much where they end up in terms of the standings, but it's, it's going to matter a lot kind of what they gel into by, you know, the last 20 games of the season or so. Yeah, I, I like that. And one other one that I want to mention, I was originally going to phrase this only in terms of the Wizards, because I think it's important what the Wizards look like because of the potential for adding pieces via free agency in 2016. But I'm going to expand, <laughs> I'm going to expand that because I'm working, as those of you who know my writing know, I'm a big CBA guy. One underlying thing that I want to convey to everybody is there are going to be a lot more teams that are in the mix for major players than anybody thinks. Basically, other than the Cavs and maybe the Spurs, depending on where they are, every other team can make space if they need to. And so what that means is a lot of these teams, whether they think about it or not, whether they care about it, whether they design for it or not, are auditioning for the Kevin Durant's of the world, not only necessarily for this year, but for the following year, but mostly for that year. And so, you know, if that's, that's Washington is the obvious one. The Warriors don't really need to audition. They already did that. But even a team like Chicago or New Orleans, you know, like those teams, if they really wanted to, and they, you know, if, if Kevin Durant said yes, they could do it without even really worrying. Like, it's not like, oh, they have to give up a million first-round picks or something. They could do it. Though you do. <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course. I mean, I mean, you do. And so... What I'm so excited for is, first of all, that's so much fun as a as a thought experiment because you can prove absolutely nothing. So it's a, it's just you're you're screaming into the void. It's perfect for that, but also because so many of those circumstances have very different situations now. So the Bulls, you're watching it not only because the Bulls are relevant, because the Bulls are a potential. They might be the most likely team to knock off the Cavs, though that may may be unlikely. But you're also thinking about it, the idea of if they really wanted to, you know, they could add Kevin Durant. Who knows what Kevin, you know, if Kevin Durant comes all the way back and everything like that. But, you know, they could do something like that. And New Orleans is in the same boat. And so I love third contract situations because we don't know what the player wants. But I'm going to look at a lot of these teams, especially because most of those teams got a lot more fun to play for to see how that works out. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good point, actually. And that's almost as, like, it seems like uh, aesthetics are going to, you know, like, I, w- I would like to play in that style almost as much as effectiveness. Because, like, you know, if you're Kevin Durant, it's like, well, I'm going to make them much better. But how are they playing? Well, how will I look in that system? And, and you know, so which teams that uh, that directs them to is uh, might be different than the teams that are necessarily best or like we're, we're instantly the like the title favorites because i mean i think if he goes to any reasonable team then all of a sudden they kind of vault a level anyway so it's it's going to be almost like the style thing is going to be so maybe you know maybe playoff whitman you know sticks around for the regular season it's like that's a that's a fun team to play for now i could i could i could get down with john wall you know that's that that it, it almost doesn't matter like if they win 45 or 55 games um, because, you know, again, 
if you're, <laughs> you're like, you, all, no disrespect to Otto Porter, but there's a kind of a gap there if, if you're talking about Kevin Durant, right? You mean future starting power forward next to Kevin Durant, Otto Porter? Whoa. Uh, now that's a lineup. Oof. That's actually, that's a, that's a, yeah, we shouldn't even go down that road of speculating about that because that's a, I, I, by the way, I think that I just, I've, I've said this in multiple places. I think, I think Marcin Gortat is going to have a monster season. I think so too. In, in, in Washington. Um, but and, anyway. and, and he, the other, I, people haven't talked about this and I think the other sleeper there is I think Washington would be a great destination for Al Horford if Durant goes somewhere else. I mean, obviously, if you get both, you get both too. But I think, <laughs> I think <That's> greedy. <laughs> yeah, but I'm just saying, like, I, I, it, assuming they're mutually exclusive, I think that if Horford would be a nice fit for them, you know, do that. It's the same idea why I think Horford, if the Warriors, you know, if they were in that situation, or the Bulls, you know, like he is a very good player. He's not an MVP candidate. He's not in that caliber, but. He could, he could he's, swing he's easily an all-star. Yeah, he could swing. Like, if, if you add him, let's say the Bulls decide that they don't want Noah, you know, Noah's a little bit too far away, and Powell, you know, Powell decides to opt out, and and they could somehow pull Al Horford, that makes them a title contender to me. I just want to point out that this is Danny LaRue who's talking about Al Horford leaving Atlanta scenarios. I, yeah, bring I played, it on, Hawks I played, fans. I played, I played no I played no part in this. No. I, uh, just direct your hate mail okay, elsewhere. He, you can direct your hate mail to me, but understand that I consider every possibility ridiculous or otherwise. You're talking to somebody who has written three pieces <laughs> this summer about the possibility of Kevin Durant going to the Warriors. And I'm not saying that as a as a fan or because I cover the team. Just just I explore intellectual possibilities. And that I mean, that's it. I, I, you know, from a from an intellectual standpoint, Durant to the Warriors seems maybe it's just because it's been incepted by you writing about it so often. But that seems like a more more reasonable thing than 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 not even not only Horford going anywhere, but or any particular place, but Horford going anywhere in. I don't. It just. I, I don't know why. It just seems like Al Horford is 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 staying in Atlanta, and that's based on nothing other than uh, probably like Hawks Twitter's vitriol whenever anyone suggests he might go somewhere. So maybe I, I'm just I, I'm being intimidated into the, into not not thinking things through. The limited amount that I've ever interacted with him, I, I can understand why people would say that. What I separate from that, and the best example of this is LeBron James, is. Until you've been in that situation where you've had a truly open market and you've had all these teams pitching you, and you've and because now with the rules on extensions, every guy hits that pretty much. Yeah. And so I think that there is a degree to which you you can assume all you want, but there we have to acknowledge that there are things about what they want that we don't know. That is one thing. Sure. And, and then the entire- other, and then the other thing is. We have to think that in some ways they probably haven't really thought about this process as much until they actually get into it. So I think that benefits some teams because they get more of a clean slate. That could be. And also, you know, it could be a situation where, like, I think that, um, I, I think I, uh, you know, uh, Neil she did, uh, did, uh, um, Zach's podcast earlier this summer, right? And it, he basically talked about how, like, Aldridge was going back there until the team fell apart. And I think that's you know that that might be spin, but that's that that certainly makes sense. That uh, that you know when all, all like you know Matthews blowing out his Achilles, and all of a sudden the entire trajectory of that of that team changes. And so looking at uh, at, at Atlanta, I mean, okay, um, 
you know, I don't even want to name names and talk about injuries because that's, that's kind of morbid, but say some things happen and all of a sudden the team is in a, just in a different place. Then all of a sudden, if you're Al Horford, you're like, I'm not young. Um, you know, this team is, this is where this team is now. And I, you know, I've, I've, I've done my all for this team for, you know, a decade. So, um, let me think about this. So I think that's a, you know, that's certainly a, a way things can change, uh, kind of it, it, literally in the blink of an eye. Yeah, I, that, you're right, and it's depressing to think about, but you're completely right. And that's, and that's, you know, the, I think that that you're talking about the blink of an eye. Is you think about that a lot of what happened to Dallas this off season was, in a way, even more ridiculous than what happened to Portland because they did all of this with the assumption that what had held for most years, while it was not, while it was not binding and anything like that, was going to hold, and that screwed them more than anything. Well, okay. The, I, I've I've gotten on this soapbox before, and I'll get it on again. Yeah. It, okay. It it's it uh, it sucks for Dallas that they were the team left without a chair when the music stopped. But this was music that was going to stop. Like this 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 was a completely untenable and remains an untenable system that you can just pile these these shadow contracts and deals on top of each other, and 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 but having none of them be binding and it only being because it's just not done. That, that something would change because until it's done, it's not done. And it's, you know, um, and it was just, it was, it was bound to be that, uh, and I, you know, I've talked to people from Dallas who kind of, you know, it's like, you know, intellectually, I'm surprised this hasn't happened before, but man, does it suck. It happened to us for the first time. Uh, and, and, you know, that's, that, that is what it is. And it's, I, the unfortunate thing is I don't think it was taken as a wake-up call of the system. It was just taken as, ooh, because DeAndre Jordan is perceived as flaky or whatever. It's it's that's one of those things that's just taboo and just not done, and so now it's going to happen again, or we just might not hear about it as as much. Well, but, yeah, and, uh, and it has happened. It just hasn't happened in the same way, especially not during the yeah. Twitter era. W- yeah. W- w- so there are a couple of different ideas on how to – adjust that, let's say. I mean, you can, if you call it a problem on how to fix that, are there any that you've heard that you support? Um, I, you know, I think just kind of, um, it was almost better in the day when, uh, when, when these deals were just, these deals were done, but they were done in secret as opposed to like the announcement that, uh, the, the, the week to the, the leak to woes or shams or whoever that, uh, this deal is done, you know, until it's signed, I almost don't want to hear about it. I mean, I, you know, as a, as a consumer, I want to hear about it, but I think that that's, that's the, the, that's what makes the problem is, is, is kind of these stacking of done deals that aren't actually done is, is where the problem goes. It's, you know, it's, uh, uh, and I think that's where the, where the problem lies is like, you know, you get a situation where the Mavs are like, Hey, Hey, Wes Matthews, we've, we've got uh, DeAndre Jordan on board, even though it's not, we don't, but we, we, we do. Because it was announced, but it's not for real. So you come too. Oh, but we'll pay you more if he doesn't. And then that's that's just a whole it's a whole cluster of, of, of stuff that's that when it actually unwinds, it's tightening the rubber band even tighter or winding the rubber band even more and more times, kind of around the spoke. So when you finally let it go, it's just all of a sudden all of this this, this energy is unleashed and and destroys all on its path. Kind of like you know when you. You were playing with GI Joes, and you did the the helicopter move to knock all the Cobra guys down. Is that a nerdy enough analogy? It, it, it's in there. I made a I, in in a personal email this week. I made a knowing is half the battle reference. So we're on, we're on board. 
Yeah, I think that you're right that that is a way to fix it. The other way, just knowing that things are always going to leak because agents are agents, not even necessarily the media's fault, but just because that gives them leverage and they can talk about that, is something that uh, is a parallel to something Tom Ziller has written about before, which is two fixes that I think should definitely be done. I support a moratorium, but the moratorium should not be done without a knowledge of what the cap's going to be. Yeah, that's that's the other thing also. And, and so so if you so what you do is the way Tom said it and I agree with him is you end the league year for financial purposes a, a week before and you use that week before July 1st to calculate. What I I the reason why I support a moratorium of at least a couple days is because that is the kind of Amino Hassan talks about how protected picks are the grease that makes a lot of things work. I think that the moratorium is the grease that makes even more things work. Not to dis- dissuade what he's saying, he's right too. And the reason for that is that it allows you to sequence moves in a way that gives you more flexibility. If like once a deal was announced it was done, then you would have situations where teams clear space or move space and they could have done other things. And so by locking it in earlier, you lose some flexibility. You can argue that that flexibility that's lost isn't that important, but I, I support it in that sense, but I think if you shorten the moratorium to seven days or to five days, that you would that you would reduce that risk just by the sheer re- reduction in random chance, just like playing guys 30 minutes as opposed to 40 minutes, while it also reduces the risk of stress-based injuries, also reduces the risk of random chance injuries. Yeah. The other, the other thing now that you bring it up is is I think that that, uh, that, that kind of uh, surprise of, of, you know, where, where the, the, the number, the cap number comes in is kind of, it's kind of a one way ratchet against players. I don't think, I don't think we we're, we're likely to ever see situations like, Hey, guess what? We have more cap room. So, you know, that deal we agreed on, we, we're, we're tacking an extra hundred thousand a year onto that. Um, I think it's, it's, it's almost always the other way. It's like, Ooh, we, we guessed wrong. And sorry, we, what? uh, instead of 3.5, we only have 3.275 to offer you, I mean, you know, every, we'll, we'll, we'll give you that. And sorry. Um, well, you're right. You're right. And even you're, you're right. Even in the cases where it does go up because the deals are already agreed to and under the current system. So when you say, you know, like right. when Chris Middleton takes 570 and then the cap goes up a million dollars, he doesn't go, oh, we'll just give you that extra money. You've already settled it. And we saw that the most amazing example of that was the Warriors with Clay Thompson. They went, oh, who knows where the cap's going to be? We'll put you with, you know, we'll put you with this number. That's fair. That gets you to a good number. And it cost him a lot of money. You know, and not, not, not so much that it's like, oh, he's going to be on the streets or anything like that. But that, I mean, that's... even, even when it helps the players, it hurts many players. Right. So I don't know. I agree with that solution. Since since we're in this abstract form, I think we talked about it a little while ago. How do you feel about all this stuff? I think you might have tweeted about this last week, about the movement very quickly for lottery reform and how it kind of died. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I think that uh, I did, uh, thank you for remembering. Um, I think that we're kind of seeing with the, um, the Philly kind of backlash um, continuing, I guess I wouldn't even say it's beginning, but it's, it's, uh, it's a self-correcting problem. You know, between, you know, the things just not really going swimmingly, trust the process uh, there, plus, you know, some of the other stuff. I mean, I think that the um, kind of the dispute between the Sixers and Wells Fargo, I think that probably goes a different way if the team isn't the abject embarrassment that they are on the court. Like, you know, I think that uh, there's instead of it being this, this 
So I think that's, that's kind of something that's kind of hitting the team in the pocketbook, which is kind of always been my preferred method for kind of dealing with is, you know, in, in, for example, in European soccer leagues, like you get a payment from the league based on where you finish. And so if there was something like that, like, you know, where we are uh, actually winning games, there's a financial incentive, like a direct financial incentive as well. It's this to counteract kind of the competitive disincentive that is like the lottery system and just something to, to, you know, to switch that up a little bit. And there is, you know, the playoffs, the playoffs, not playoffs thing is kind of a, a discontinuity there, but even making it so that, you know, well, we, we want to, we're not, we know we're not going to make the playoffs. So let's make sure we finish 30th um, to kind of put some pressure the other way a, a little bit and making it financial instead of competitive. Because if you're, you know, you're tinkering with the competitive system, then you're just, you're just changing inflection points and, and, you know, and almost in working against the, the, the theory behind a, uh, a draft in the first place. Now you could be someone like, I think it, I think Ziller is like a ball or is it? No, it's Kevin Arnovitz who's like abolish the draft. And that's, and that's fine. That's never going to happen because it's a big TV thing. And, and, uh, and, and we like drafts in, in, in America. And so it, that is what it is. I, I think trying to deal with this issue in the competitive and by competitive, I mean like the, the draft slot realm, as opposed to the financial realm, I think you're, 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 you're in a very complex system where you're going to have unintended consequences and you're just, you're basically asking for the quote sharper teams to kind of find those, those, those sweet spots. And, and that's, you know, I don't think that's, that's necessarily an improvement. It just kind of changes where the, uh, where the irrationalities are. That's, a, that's an interesting way to think about it. I actually support abolishing the draft too, but uh, it's, yeah, I, I, I under, but I acknowledge that it is not realistic. You know, it's, it's one of those things that's not going to happen. I think it would lead to more equitable results, but that, you know, it is what it is. Are there any players that you're just really excited to see how it works or how it works out? I mean, usually that's rookies, like I can say Mario Hazonia, but at the same time, you know, there are a lot of, like, a lot of faces in new places and faces with new situations that I'm particularly Well, I mean, I Moutier, but, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, the, um, you know, other other rookies who've who've uh, uh, you know obviously you know, we talked a little bit about Bobby, Bobby Portis looking like he might uh, might might be something. I am I am I guess interested in Julius Randall. I am incredibly skeptical of, of of Julius Randall. Let me put it that way. So I you know it's it's so again we I talked earlier about like you know you you incepting the KD to. To Golden State, uh, um, I, I feel like the idea of Julius Randle, future superstar, has kind of been something that's kind of uh, sprung fully formed from the ether this season for a guy who, you know, fell in the draft and then missed an entire season, and all of a sudden he's this amazing prospect. Okay, we'll see. I'm, I, uh, people might call me a Laker hater, and they'd be correct. Um, I'll, I'll own up to that. But still, I'm, I'm uh, not letting that get in the way. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm still skeptical of that. You know, I kind of want to see how everything works in Minnesota, as do you. Uh, as a guy who's been a, been a Ricky Rubio fan for a long time, I kind of want to see, like, him actually getting the reins for a year with a team with some some kind of finishers around him. Yeah, this, and, is, the, this is the inflection point for him, for me. Yeah, and I think that that was, you know, the, one of the worst things that, that Rick Adelman did in his last season, two years ago, was kind of... 
you know, they, they closed games with JJ Barea because they couldn't trust Ricky Rubio. And I'm like, well, what's the point of that? Do you, if you guys are going to be any good, you need to trust Ricky Rubio or at least find out whether you can or can't. And so they kind of have wasted two years between, uh, 13, 14 and then last year with the injuries of still not knowing, you know, what, whether he's like going to be good enough to, to be in that situation or not. So that's another thing I'm interested in. I'll, I'll add one more while you're thinking. There are a couple of legitimately fascinating stretch five potential guys this year. Myers Leonard, uh, depending on who they play at the four. I, I mean, if you're playing Plumley next to him, that doesn't count because then he's not the five. Yeah. And Porzingis, who again is probably going to play the wrong position, but you know, the, and Miles Turner is the third, and those guys are all in situations where if it works we could be kind of at the, at the forefront of something because what makes those guys different than let's say memo occur who i liked is that they're more complete players right it's basically porting kind of serge ibaka to the 5 like right. he, he, in terms of you know big men who can both protect the rim and shoot threes it's serge ibaka and a little bit paul Millsap. That's 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 the entire list. Yeah, like the, the parallel is kind of like the difference between Stephen Curry and one of those jump shooting ones. Like, let's say, I don't know why the guy who's in my head is Gennaro Pargo, but Gennaro Pargo. That that you that's the guy, rough. I the, a guy who can so the by a guy who can do that and be be a little bit especially because all three of those guys have defensive potential at albeit at different levels but that is a different thing you know if you can put Myers Leonard out there and he was he did well in rim protection metrics last year if he can do that again and you know show that it's a more consistent thing then that changes that changes the entire outlook of how you build the Blazers the next three years. Sure. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm still stuck on Gennaro Pargo. I mean, you couldn't have gone with like Jameer Nelson or, or you know, someone just or Mo Williams. Mo, uh, yeah. I was I was trying to think of a guy who like who largely played, who was mostly just like that was their value offensively was shooting jump shots, and I, I it's weird because there have been guys like that forever, and I just had trouble thinking of them. Listener submissions, welcome. It was um, it was interesting. I, I don't know if you had any thoughts on this. They, on open court, they did teams of the decades, and well, what I found kind of intellectually interesting about it was using those kind of arbitrary limits and how it helped some guys and really hurt other guys. So guys who were like good from like 95 to 2005 kind of get, get the, get the short end where Jordan, who's like, who was, you know, would be there anyway, but since his, like, you know, his, his period of dominance was basically 90 to 98 with, even with the baseball removed that he becomes like the, like of like the nineties were the Jordan decade. Yeah, I, I think that's an example of it. Uh, I would say, like, um, Charles Barkley, I think, is a little bit hurt by it because he had the late 80s and the early 90s. And, yeah. And, to, and also because he was less famous in the 80s. So that was, you know, he wasn't the, in the Magic Bird caliber. But, yeah, I, I and now, I mean, we'll see what happens with Anthony Davis. But, I mean, he, how do you consider him on the... I, I think he was good enough early on that he could end up being the power forward pick for this decade team. But, you know... Well, who else would it be? I mean, thinking about it, like, who has been since, like, 2000... Who has been the best, to this point, who has been the best power forward since 2010? Uh, Kevin Love? Uh, okay. I mean, Dun- well, are we, if we count Duncan as a power forward, Duncan. We we shouldn't. We shouldn't. Um, in that uh, in that time frame, we definitely should not. I mean, it's probably that's like you get the last couple Dirk years. Um, 
Yeah, but, but oh, oh, so if we, yeah, if we're just talking about, let's say, the four season. Uh. I mean, we're basically talking about like since the Lakers' last championship is basically like. Yes, yeah, it's, it's not KG because he fell off. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, is it is it Chris Bosh? It could be. I, I think Bosh and Love are the two best candidates, personally. <laughs> could I? I mean, could you even make an argument for Paul Millsap? I mean, no. That's okay. Not I mean, not over not over Bosch because Bosch does a yeah. lot of what Millsap and and well, also I mean, four, you could, four finals. You could yeah. also make the argument that you could just give LeBron best small forward and best power forward because he would have been the best power forward if he played it. Yeah, just just give him all the spots. Let's just say well, the twenty ten. Are we calling him the best tight end of the nineties too? If he decided to play football, no, of the two thousands. Of the two thousands, what I mean of the of, of the of the twenty tens. Hey, he might have been. The, no, I would say yeah, I would say of the two thousands because he would have gone pro in two thousand three. Yeah. So, oh no, he it's, wouldn't have because he would have had to go to college. That's right. Yeah. So it would have been two thousand. So then he would have been hurt by the decade split. Exactly. So there you go. So See, have you ever th- have you ever seen LeBron play high school football? It was incredible. I I can only imagine. Yeah, I saw some of the footage back in the day, and it was just like I mean, because you think about as one of those things I liked. I liked you know, there's certain athletes that just totally you can you can immediately say it like when people talk about Nash playing soccer, you're like, yep, okay. Well, I've I've like I've I've played pickup basketball with Randy Moss before, and yeah. that's it's it, it's like, oh, uh, <laughs> just like it's it's hard to imagine someone floating above the basketball court, but that's really kind of the only way you can describe like Randy Moss, like not even not not in a time in his life when he was playing a lot of basketball, but just watching him run around the court, it's like, oh, that's that's different than than the, the way the rest of these people are are moving. The example of that that I've never seen footage of but makes the most sense in the world to me is Jim Brown arguably being the best lacrosse player of all time because when you think about what a lacrosse player should be, you basically think of Jim Brown. Yeah, or or the bunk, but that's, you know, <laughs> <laughs> wire reference, ding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what else do you want to talk about before the season starts? Um, I can't wait for the season to start. Okay, but, okay. Yeah. One, one thing, what we've talked, we alluded to it before, but teams, let's say teams outside of the very bottom that have meaningful disaster potential. And what we mean, what I mean by disaster potential is they could end up in the five or around. They could, they they could end up in the five worst records or close to it. So we're we're basically thinking teams like last year's Knicks. Yes. Like, um, well, this this year's Knicks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this year's Knicks, Lakers. I mean, we're not uh, the Wolves, although people are expecting the Wolves to be the Kings. In the East, who could be? Hornets. Uh, Hornets, yeah. Although with MKG going down, that's not that's, – I guess that counts as Well, game, five worst records would still be a, would still be huge for them because yeah. that would be worse than last year. I could see the, the wheels falling off for the Heat. I wouldn't be shocked by it. I could see them keeping their pick. Yeah. The... Orlando. But Orlando, like, see, that's the problem with me, is Orlando, like, it wouldn't be a disaster. It would just be disappointing. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think Orlando has, has, has a real shot at making the playoffs this year. Um, I'm, I'm, I've, been, uh, I've been big on Orlando, especially now that Aaron Gordon is, like, back from the, the broken jaw and everything. Um, I think that uh, they, 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 have, they have some potential. They might have the highest variance in my mind of any non-elite team. Like, uh, of course, a team like Houston has more variance because they're way better. You know, so it's a lot. It's a lot easier to fall a lot of games from sixty than from thirty. Right. But, but Orlando and, and they're. You know, I wouldn't be like, surprised if they won any number between twenty and forty. Though. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. Yeah, I, I could see them losing uh, less than twenty. Would be real bad. 
but yeah, I, I think that they're in there. And the and another team that I it, again, it's disaster potential, not likelihood, is Phoenix for me. Like they're a team that is very very precarious. And I was really concerned with how slowly they played the second half of last year. And while some of that will work better with Tyson Chandler, because Tyson Chandler works within that kind of a system, they are very shallow in ways that I could see it falling apart. Yeah, and plus there's the there's kind of the, the, the lingering like Markeith Morris drama. And the Hornacek drama. There's Hornacek drama? Well, he's I think he's on the last year of his contract, and the story was that he was being paid less than Hoiberg at Iowa State. So it's like if wow. he if he's ma- if he's making that little money, then you know I could see the wheels coming off to a degree there. Yeah, that would that would that would be suboptimal for them. So yeah, there I mean there's definitely like uh, drama potential there. Who uh, I'm trying to think of other East teams. I mean I think the well think, everybody in the East basically yeah, other than the, Cleveland. I mean I, I Bo- think the, the Celtics have yeah. Um, well, Boston has so much depth that, and they have a good coach that I think they're. Oh, and Brooklyn, we already talked about. Brooklyn yeah. is Brooklyn is maybe the most obvious, except that they don't have the incentive. Dallas yeah. is the most obvious in that sense. I mean, again, I I question Boston's kind of top end talent. They have a lot of NBA players, you know, and not in the. Of course, they have NBA contracts, uh, but in terms of guys who like should be on NBA teams and get rotation minutes, but it's like, you know, how, how, like we talked about earlier, how many, how many, uh, if, if all of your minutes are played by seventh men, what does that get you? Yeah. And, and not only that, but there are some kind of traditionally important things that they're weak at. They don't have a ton of great ball handlers, you know, guys who can initiate the offense unless smart brings it and their rim protection is inconsistent. You know, they're basically how I would describe it is they were a team that really succeeded last year and it dumbfounded me, but the same, what, what I'm being deferential to is, well, why can't that happen again? But you can go exactly the reverse, which is it shouldn't have happened the first time. So maybe the regression to the mean is, is the more, is the more prudent expectation. I, I think that's kind of where I am and they have, you know, you, you in a lot of kind of advanced, you know, on-off based metrics, they have a lot of guys who showed up as as good, and it's a lot of guys who are showing up as like not that guy, you know, like a, you know a Jay Crowder shows up as really well in like an RPM style stat. Well, that's because he got to play in Dallas uh, before Rajon Rondo and in Boston after Rajon Rondo. So it's it's not you know at risk of being slightly reductive. It's it's it's. Uh, you know, it, it's not super surprising that the on-off stuff correlates well for him. You know, and uh, and and same for a guy like Isaiah Thomas, and and so on and so forth. So, um, and you know, also you know, you know, not uh, not not Rajon Rondo, not Jeff Green is kind of uh, a lot of guys who are kind of getting those bumps. <laughs> um, and that's you know, are you saying that the answer for the Sacramento Kings is to trade Rajon Rondo at the deadline? <laughs> Andrew, uh, and Rudy Gay by historical precedent. That's uh, you know what the answers for. Uh, you're trying to get me in trouble by getting me to talk about the Sacramento Kings. I feel like. Do you know how much I get by those because I'm a lo- I'm somewhat local and it's like you know I, I would this is actually something I want to talk about a little bit. Me being <laughs> critical of their management is in no way an indictment of anything other than their management. I want the team to succeed. I want every NBA team to succeed because that makes 
makes not only financially for me, but personally, that makes my life better. I watch a lot of NBA basketball. The more teams are good, the better it is for me, the happier I am. However, I will be critical when I think somebody is doing a bad job, just like I will heap praise when I think they are doing a good job. The Kings have regularly done a bad job. The Lakers have regularly done a bad job. So that is not me hammering on it. It is me telling them what I feel is the truth. And some people say, oh, you have to wait and see. Yes, that is true. That is the way to properly evaluate it. But you can. Well, no, I, I, and I'll, I'll, I'll say and that's not even necessarily true because something happens to work out doesn't mean it was a good move. Results I mean, over process. Yeah, agree. Like, agree. I, mean, I mean, there's a the, I don't think neither of us are big football guys, but there was a well, like this weekend there was a, a, you know, down seven kicking a field goal with like three minutes left and, it, it, and Detroit ends up winning the game. It doesn't mean that kicking the field goal was the right play there. It just means that this they, they happened to kind of, you know, roll consecutive sevens and, and you know, get, get the stop and then get the ball back and then score a touchdown and then still go into overtime. Anyway, um, that's neither here nor there. Um, but it's like it's a, something that, that's from the information you have at the time is a bad decision. It doesn't change if things ha- if, if you hit the 90th percentile outcome. So like everything, you know, for example, like the worst case scenarios from, from the, uh, uh, the, the, the Kings trade with Philadelphia, certainly at this point look like they're probably not going to happen because Philadelphia is going to be a mess again this year, uh, because of Embiid and, and everything else. Blah, and blah, not blah. having, not having more than like five or seven NBA guys. Yeah. And, and that, that doesn't mean that, that, okay, that at the time giving up those, those pick swaps wasn't just ridiculously bad. The fact that it hasn't hasn't come back to, to bite them. You, you do that enough times, and you know you you bet your 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 entire you know net worth on ninety nine percent shots, you're going to go broke, in not very long, you know. It's uh, but but it it was so unlikely to happen that way. Well, you, you set yourself up in a situation that disaster could, uh, in a non infinitesimal way, come back and strike you. And so those are the kinds of things that that like you said, like um good teams don't do and bad teams do frequently and it doesn't always end up coming back to hurt you but it does enough and then it's a disaster and then you're a bad team for for longer yeah i mean i i would say that a team like the knicks have to have you know they've gotten in that circumstance themselves and and the i would say the easiest way that that happens and again it's justifiable and the kings are an example of this is when a team rushes a rebuild when a team, when there is impatience, uh, Amin Al-Hassan, one of the smartest points I've heard anybody, I would say, has ever made on this podcast was the idea that own, ownership quality is the greatest competitive advantage in the league right now. And the reason for that is it allows you to, most of the time, not all the time, Dallas is an example, it allows you to avoid some of the more egregious pitfalls that, that, can, that can stumble a team and, and really hurt their ceiling more than anything. Yeah, and actually, this is a this is something that I meant to write this summer, never really got around to. Is the idea that you know, at a certain point, the, the best move you can make is nothing because kind of the natural entropy of how the league works, it will will kind of fill the hole you've dug for yourself faster than any other moves you can make, and that's you know, that's the kind of thing that 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 fans like of say the Knicks and the Lakers might not like to hear. But the best thing you can do is just, all right, let's not do anything stupid. Let's kind of clear the decks of these bad contracts, these picks we've given away. Let's fill the hole, and then we can start moving forward instead of trying to, to jumpstart that. And now we're, you know, we're, we're starting a race without a full tank of gas if we, if we you know, try, to, try to 
go too soon on these things. And, you know, whether that's, whether that's ownership or management or fan expectations or some mix of all, all of the above, I think that that kind of realism is a real, a really important element. And, and, you know, I, while I think you agree with me on this, that we don't necessarily love the individual moves that Portland made this offseason, the thought process is like, all right, this is where we are. Let's, let's go from there instead of kind of scrambling to save a, 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 a most likely unsalvageable situation. Are we pretending that the Ennis Canner contract was 100% fait accompli that Oklahoma City was going to match? Because that is the grand exception. <laughs> yeah, fair. But yeah, uh, I, I, but what, what I, it's great that you mentioned Portland because I hadn't thought of them, but they're the better example of this than the one I was going to use of the advantage of if you don't like the options for your cap space, just don't use it. <clears throat> but you can go too far with that. Philadelphia isn't getting their unused cap space from the last couple of years back. They're they not getting, getting well. They they aren't getting it back, but at the same time, look at what they used it for this summer. I mean, they got more from their cap space this summer than anyone did. They arguably got more from their cap space than any team in the league did. I think you can make an argument. You know, it's up there. Let's say it's in the top five uses of cap space. I think that would be fair. But that was um, just once. The other years they didn't use it as well. You're right. Yeah, and you know, and they don't, they don't, they don't get that, uh, they don't get that, that, that cap space back. They don't get that player development time back, and that's that's you know, a huge issue that you're totally right on. Yeah, and that's you know, and, and it's, and this isn't like a shot at their coaching staff. I think that you know, there's there's very little way you can look at them and say that Brett Brown hasn't you know, done really good work with what he's been given. But I mean. You know, I've I've gone back, and this is a point I've I've talked about a lot. Like, if you're Michael Carter Williams and you're trying to learn how to run an NBA pick and roll, how do you learn that in Philadelphia? Uh, the the first year and a half of his career, like yeah. who 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 are you running that pick and roll with? That let like if your best pick and roll partner is Nerlens Noel, who has no idea what he's doing, because you know he's he he's you know had played half a season of college basketball uh, and hasn't played in a year. And just no, I no clue how to do this at the kind of a, a professional level of detail. That's not the best you, you can learn, but you're telling me that you would learn as fast as say, you know, in a magical world, Tyson Chandler is on that team. It's like, no, no, come off here and hit me there. And, and, and those kind of reps, those, those would be better reps with a, with an actual professional experienced player. And it, I'm not, you know, I'm not advocating Philadelphia, like going out and, Overpaying for veteranosity or, or or anything like that, but it's it's you're 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 not putting it's it's the the assets they're accumulating are are you know produce that's kind of sitting on the dock and spoiling. It's development and it's also evaluation too because you don't know how good the guy like a great example of this for me is is Julia look for if you don't have the guys to get him the ball. And to be able to make it so teams can't collapse on him in a way that is a little bit non-representative. Basketball is a collaborative sport. Part of the reason you and I are so high on the Rockets is that they're bringing new assets and new combinations of positives to the table. And if you have not yet reached a critical mass of functionality, it's basically impossible to evaluate almost anything. And I'm not saying that, oh, they should have done that, though I do think they should have gotten closer, because I think they could have gotten closer while still being bad. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think that's something uh, we talked about this at summer league. And the guy whose name I think we both brought up was Jameer Nelson because he's kind of like 
you know, solid but not great, also from Philadelphia, so that kind of would make some sense. But just, to, you know, if you've got a guy like Okafor who needs to get the ball in spots to do well, and you have no, no one who can get him the ball in those spots, what are you doing? I don't know. And that's that's why I've, I've you know, it's a point that, and, and now I'm going to get hate mail from the Sixers fans again, bring it on. But it, it's a... Uh, it's not the big moves that have been the problem because the, you know, the, the, the big moves of the teardown have been, I, I don't think you can really take much issue with any of them. I mean, I think the Embiid pick was clearly correct. Even if that hasn't, if that's worked about as poorly as it could have plausibly done, you, you know, the, 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 the Carter Williams trade it's uh, for what they got. I, I don't think you can have any arguments against that. The Alfred Payton trade under, yeah. underrated, great move, got yeah. a first round pick for almost for, for something negligible for them. Yeah. And, you know, so, but it's, 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 it's the small moves and it's, 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 they basically like, what do they have to show for the last three years other than kind of a, a continuing collection of, of, of future assets that, you know, while the, the previous, the recently past collection of, of, of future assets are kind of uh, degrading. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, it's New Orleans Noel's third year all of a sudden. He's going to be up for contract extension this time next year. Yeah, but if you've devalued him enough that his contract extension value is lower, then you can continue it. Yeah, but he's okay. But he's he's going to be good enough that, and he I think people know he's good enough that all yeah. of a sudden now you've got some decisions to make. He's and, not flying under the radar. No, and 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 where are you? You're still you know you're uh, as Fran Fraschella might say, you might be two years away from being two years away still. Yeah, so and, then, then, and then you're not getting the surplus value is another huge part of this. Yeah, know? and so all of a sudden when you're ready to be good, now you're paying Nerlens Noel, you know, sixteen million dollars a year, and 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 he's twenty, you know, he's in his mid twenties, and which is fine, great, it's uh, you're you're happy with that, um, but it's like that 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 value you would have gotten from you know having that sort of production in place from a twenty two year old on a rookie scale contract is gone. Because you were doing nothing uh, during those years. And one other small note that I'll make is I th- I've all, kind of when I looked at where they were going a couple years ago, I thought 2016-17 was going to be the year for them to kind of make a jump. But the problem is they. I think that what I underestimated at the time and is a challenge is that you probably need a year of being a little bit better to rehabilitate. Because that's that's something that uh, people have written about. Well, I think Tom Ziller, a couple other people have written about this year, is that the negative the negative consequences of losing are they're temporary for all teams, but they're temporary until you get good. So you have to kind of start it first. Yeah, you don't. You, there are probably examples of a team just like bouncing back all the way, but. Usually that's kind of with an external shock, like, you know, LeBron, uh, a LeBron caliber player is not going to Philadelphia. I don't think that, as far as I know, there, the, uh, there's not a, <laughs> there's not a young future, uh, upper, uh, like inner circle Hall of Fame player who's from the Philadelphia area who would, you know, decide to go there just because, um, like, you know, LeBron going back to Cleveland was. So what, what about Kobe? <sighs> I'm Taylor just baiting said, you. I'm just yeah. baiting you into 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 takes. Yeah. No. So anyway, I. You're, that's a that's a great point, and and I think that yeah, it is a challenge to to think about that, and so and and the further away you get, the more ingrained that reputation is, and that's a little bit of a challenge too, where 
people will make that jump. We saw a couple of people do that this summer, but it gets less and less likely. And and so all you need to do is get better. And I think, but, but the nice thing for them is where they are bad right now are positions where talent exists. Like one question I had was, well, granted, I think we both went a little bit insane with the Jeremy Lin deal just because it made no sense. But, you know, I, I don't know whose fault that is. I don't know if, if Philly offered him money and he just said no or if they didn't offer it or whatever. Like, if they had gotten him for 4 or $5 million, that would have been nice for them. Yeah, again, it's the same thing as we said with Jameer Nelson. Like, yeah. does, he, does he make you enough better that you're not still in a great spot to get a great, uh, a great draft pick next year? In, in, yeah, but... Yeah, I think I think we've we've said enough about this, and I'm, I'm I'm getting frustrated just thinking about it because it's it 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 makes me frustrated because it's it's like a you know not kind of going the rest they've gone you know two thirds of the way around the circle and just are going back to the start instead of going around the short way. I'm like. I, you you went a different way with this, and the way that I'm going to go is I think my issue with it is that I think it's giving this style of rebuild at this point a little bit of a bad name. I think that the courage of what they did is something that should be ref, that should be reflected in other teams. I I, I, mean, I, well, I kind of admire it, now, but they shouldn't on. have gone this far. Now the, now the, whose courage is it though? Because if you're if you're you know in 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 management there. Uh, and not ownership, but management. There, this sounds like uh, uh, a wonderful uh, employment plan. This the courage is, yeah, is yeah, the courage yeah. is ownership entirely. Yeah, and and so oh yeah, uh, four years. We'll get it done in, in four years because that just means that that I that I get to I get to have this job for at least four, probably five years, no matter what. That doesn't suck. No, it's pretty. It's pretty good for even yeah. for today's world and. Yeah, and and also what you the challenge with that is you can't prove anything. You know, you're arguing in a vacuum, yeah. and so right. that that makes it that I mean, you have the easy case for an ownership to fire a GM because like, hey, we're not winning games. But at the same point, you signed off on not winning games. You know, right. that's that's very different than like, let's say, if, <laughs> see, it's working. <laughs> yeah, like if Vivek, if like if Vivek gets mad that the Kings aren't winning, and then does something, he's like, well, we tried, and so you get you get that plausible deniability, but. Yeah, it, to me, it's it's ownership courage. I should have clarified that, and I I appreciate you saying that because that is really a, an important distinction to make. I mean, if you're in like if you're you know the a situation where you're the you're the GM and your job is actually on the line if this you know in two years if this hasn't gone anywhere, okay, that's you know that's that, that's a certain degree of ballsiness. But uh, but if it's like and 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 as long as you agree that I have the time to see this through, we'll we'll do this. It's it's a, that, that's that's a good gig if you can get it. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've taken enough of each other's time, but it's been an absolute pleasure. All right. Thanks a lot. Next time we talk, it'll be actual basketball. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks again to Seth Partnow for taking the time to come on. You can read him at the Nylon Calculus, where he is the managing editor. Also, he recently joined the Cauldron, and he writes a ton of places. That's why one great way to keep track of it is. SethPartnow.tumblr.com. You can find that link also on his Twitter page. He's one of the must-follow people on Twitter, S-E-T-H-P-A-R-T-N-O-W. I would honestly be surprised if you listened to this podcast and you didn't, but if you don't, do that now. And he has a lot of great work that's coming out. I, I really appreciate it, and that's why I think it's good to have that Tumblr because it puts everything together. And I love talking to him because one of the things that makes Seth special in my mind is that he is somebody who can talk about abstract, unlikely things in a rational, well-reasoned way with good humor. And I mean, I think that's what Durant to the Warriors, the little discussion we had on that was, and a few other things. And so 
I, I love doing that. Th and for those who listen to this one, this is the second season preview I've done for Real Jam Radio. The first was with Ben Golliver of Sports Illustrated. That is earlier in the feed. I think it is the most recent podcast. I have a ton of material that is coming out in the next little bit. I am recording the Pacific Division podcast. Actually, later today, I'm recording this outro on Wednesday. So by the time you've listened to this podcast, hopefully I will have recorded it because this podcast takes a while to listen to. And doing a couple other things, those of you who know me know that for Real Jam Radio, I do not publicize who my guests are ahead of time because I always worry that if they cancel, then people are going to be disappointed. But it is a great set that we're going to do. And one thing that makes Real Jam Radio for me a little bit different than Dunked On, which I do with Nate Duncan, who is, of course, an amazing follow and amazing podcaster, and his work previewing all 30 teams is honestly incredible. I, I'm amazed that he has done that. But one of the differences between what he does and what I do is that I'm not going to talk much about the beginning of the season at the beginning of the season with the logic that we're so prone to overreaction and while there are people who are deft enough to toe the line of fake overreaction, hardwood proxism does the super over overreactionizer kind of in this vein. But I, I'm I don't consider myself deft enough to do that most of the time. So my early podcast, the tentative plan right now, is to make them more about other things and then probably about two weeks into the year start really getting into the nuts and bolts and one of the things that I'm thrilled about with the way that this podcast and Dunked On have expanded in profile is that I have a wealth of people even more now than I did and I was thrilled with who I had a year ago that I can go to and so the roster will be great and I am honestly thrilled to get to real basketball set that I talked about it a little bit before and after the, the recording that you heard but just I'm ready for that and it was a little bit different even this was, for me was one of the shorter off seasons because I was covering the Warriors and you know I was there when they won the title but it still felt really long because as much as I love the off season, basketball is what makes this all worth doing and so if you have any in input for me the best way is probably Twitter. It's uh, Daniel Rue, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X. I also have a dedicated email address now, Daniel Rue NBA, which I read everything that comes in, as I say with Twitter too. I read everything. I respond to as much as I can because that's that's really, that's being honest. I try to respond to everything, but I'm, I, I can't make that guarantee, so I'm not going to. So you can do that. I, I read everything. I take it into account. And as those of you who follow me on Twitter, like with this podcast, I was discussing whether to split it into two. I decided to keep it as one, and I'm thrilled with the results. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Napa guy knows the only way you'd give a freshly minted driver a brand new car is if he promises to never drive it. Instead, let him grind the gears and knock over the neighbor's mailbox in something a little more suited to his skill level. And with over 400,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, he can safely drive something that's nearly as old as he is. 
It's not perfect, but it's perfect for him. That's Napa Know-How.